Chainer Dimension Master. Wait, Jesus, don't tell me I'm muted again. No, no, no. You, no, you're, no, you're, you're fine. Fine. Okay. Cool, okay. Always have Art, to go. check. screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Terminator cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. Hello everyone, and welcome to Commander Cast episode 215. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on September 3rd, 2015, for what seems like the first time in a while. I'm your host of the show and owner of the website proper, William, and joining me as always are my perennial co-hosts. First off, we've got Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, everybody. This is Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Red Zone on the internet, and I'm currently going to the Commander Cast page to just double-check to make sure this is episode. Yep, episode 215. Okay, just double-checking. Yeah, I told you. I'm on sure. Hey, hey, I'm just making sure, because I like to make sure that we have the right dates and numbers and stuff, because sometimes, sometimes, you know, we, like, aren't here for a week, and you just keep moving forward, even though we had something that week. I mean, you might not have known about it. I knew about it. The listeners knew about it. Well, this time I'm in the private too. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the know. I'm on the grapevine. I'm you mean privy. I'm going to keep get this going. Mark, you are privy to this information. Now, now, now he had it right. He's in the privates. I feel so uncomfortable. Not really talking about exactly which one. <laughs> that means two things. So, guys, we've got the full cast here today. Mark's one of them. Howdy, people. <laughs> I am not. I have nothing to do with privates at the moment. Clay, Commander Panda, also here. Hey. Um, I have no clue where this discussion just went, so we're just going to sit here and hope that it sorts itself out. Well, In the dangly bits. Well, see, now that Clay is Nyancat, we can say that he is Rainbow Pop-Tart Panda? What? I don't know. So, here on Command Cast this week, we've got other things um, set up. Let's see here, because the whole cast is here. It's me, this William, this Mark. There's also Clay, but this week we also have a special guest on with us. That's right, so. Calvin. Today we've got Manipool Mike on. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, hey, everybody out there. I'm Mike from the Mana Pool. Usually over there, I'm the pool guy and the game lore guy. And here I am, the special guest, apparently. Yeah. And I'm really excited. It's been a very long time since the last time I visited with you guys. Right. It's only actually, it's only your second episode on, which means that we need to get Brian on, and then you guys should be caught up with Chewy at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we need to do crossovers more often. Chewie's only been on twice. Two or three times. Like, I know f- for sure one time he was on to help plug the Kickstarter. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since we've had guests on, period, actually. Like, we went through this whole stint where we had, like, guests, guests, guests for, like, I think two months straight. And now and now we're just getting done with, like, a, another two months straight of no guests. Yeah, because, you know, we had handed over to William to do the guest um Basically sending out the emails and asking the guests if they wanted to come on, and then somewhere along the lines of him getting the list of guests, uh, and now I... no, like really been contacted. So, oh, hold on, uh, BT Dubs, I have a thunderstorm in my area, so there's a chance that I could get cut off, just like Mike was just now. Mm. 
Boo, weather. Damn you, weather. How, how dare you? How dare you, Karanos? How dare you give us a special guest and then use your almighty abilities to just rip him away from us as we're doing our introduction? You sick, cold-hearted bastard. I blame Rousey. <laughs> Skype hated me for a second for some reason. Sorry. No, no, it wasn't Skype. It was uh, Karanos, God of Thunder. That's who hated you. That's who we're blaming on. Damn you, you blue bastard with your (laughs) flat red. So, favorite commanders of the week. You know him. You love him. It's time for us to go through this yet one more time. And because Mike is our guest, Mike, who is your favorite commander this week and why? My favorite commander this week is Sidtree, Galvanic Genius. And that's because, for some reason, um, last Saturday, I sat in the middle of my living room floor and started building a new commander deck. And it was for her, specifically. She's one of the ones I had in the back of my head for a while and just never got around to building yet. And now I have it. I still got to finish the lands. But beyond that, I think it's done. I still have yet to play it, but I'm excited to try it out. Ooh, so what sort of gimmicks are you trying to make? Uh, some of the gimmicks involve, you know, just waking up big artifacts and running over and hitting people with them. You know, you got your Staff of Nin and Aladdin's Lamp. I, I think that's funny. And, uh, uh, of, of course I have various shenanigans in there with, um, Sharon Hegemon and Power Artifact and various other dirty things, but, uh, hopefully I won't ruin too many people's days with that. Hopefully. I had to ru- ruin a game with my own Sidru deck, I think, just last week when the shop was getting ready to close up, and I was like, "Okay, we need to we need to be done with this." Uh, tutor up Oblivion Stone, get it back with the Academy Ruins over and over again with Nordzilla making everything indestructible, lock people out. Are you ready to be done? I mean, like, I, I don't like winning that way. Like, I built my Sidri deck specifically to make right. use of Intruder Alarm and trying to make it as convoluted as possible. Currently, I'm up to like six to seven combo pieces, <laughs> but I like where the Dang. deck's going. But I like where the deck's going. But, have, but Mike, have you ever thought about doing like the uh, the absolute creatureless Sidri and just using her to make all the the things creatures? I did think about that, and my original concept for the deck had a lot more. My my original concept for the deck had a lot fewer creatures in it than I ended up having, but there was just so many um, cool but, cards that I had yeah. been saving a deck like this for a while that ended <laughs> up going into it. So yeah, I, I mean, hey, she can give guys lifelink and death touch, so that's still good. Yeah, I mean, like, you need the Master Transmuter. Caltrops. I like Ethereum Angel. Caltrops is a card I need to get. Oh, the card is so funny. I haven't yeah, Caltrops with Sidri is the nuts. Oh, and now Calvin got dropped. Damn, Karandas Gr- is out to get... See, that's what happened. Calvin spoke up against the tyranny of the gods, and the gods struck him down. Cold-blooded. Dang, that's a good idea, though. Caltrops. I need to... I don't know if I have one. I need to see if I can... <laughs> buy my brother's collection off of him because he hasn't played in years and he has tons of <laughs> random stuff. Yeah, Caltrops, I think it was like an uncommon from, I want to say Marquee and Versus, versus uh, oh. Destiny. Versus Des- Urza Block, okay. It was in, I think, 7th edition, too. It was, although I'm still trying uh, to figure out although I think that, which one of them had the, the funky jack art and the other had like... I think I have the 7th edition arc. It just has like a hoof like about to go on like a nasty spike. Okay, okay so 7th edition. Yeah, yeah the edition. art with the weird ninja guy was the Ursus Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> That's supposed the to be a weird ninja? ninja guy. I just uh. I just figured some poor parent let his kid get away with leaving his jacks all over the place. Caltrops. <laughs> Ursus Destiny. Alright, so let's go ahead and keep going. Mark, who's your favorite commander this week? Uh, this week I'm, I've been rocking uh, Afara, God of the Polis. Actually, uh, Tom, good old MTG Radio, turned me on to this one, man. Because um, I've been trying to teach myself to play Control again, 
And Afara, like, I really like drawing cards, but the only way I get to draw cards is if I sit on my mana and sit on my stuff until I play it. Play, like, you know, it's like Afara tokens build. So I have to sit on it until somebody else's turn. Usually the end of their end step, I'll flash in, you know, a creature, or I'll throw out some tokens or whatnot. So it's been pretty sweet. I tell you, the uh, the new little Flash dudes, like Mizium Midler, that guy is the nuts from uh, 2015. Or, I'm sorry, from Magic Origins. Love that dude. Love that dude. <laughs> Instant speed, um, oh god, who's the little artifact guy that I play in Sidri, ironically enough? The little blue guy who, like, acts as a lightning rod, takes all the spells? Uh, Spellskite? Yeah, Spellskite. The one flashy oh, yeah. Spellskite. The 20-something yeah. card that saves all the blue decks? Yo, yeah. I'm telling you, man, Mizzy and Mettler, he's the nuts. But anyway, <laughs> tons of fun. So, Clay, who you got? Uh, Tassiger the Golden Fang. Um, I took this guy with my build to... FNM for the first time to play French list dual commander. Um, went 4-0 in Swiss, lost only one game, um, to Maelstrom Wanderer. And yeah, split for finals. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Playing super hard banana king control. Um, I'm actually gonna lick, lick, that link my list. That almost came out really, really wrong. I mean, I <laughs> encourage people, I, encur- oh, so right, I encourage people to <laughs> like their list. Um, I'm encouraging you to lick your list. Because this, this deck is a lot of fun to play. It's literally just hard Sultai control, and you either beat people down with Tassigar after they can't do anything, or you use Jace the Wallet Sculptor and kill people. I mean, Mike knows what it's like to play Tomagoff in Standard, right? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> French Banana King Control. Link. All right, Based. Calvin, who you got this week? Uh, for this week, my commander of the week, I'm going to go with an old faithful of Cranko, Mob Boss. And the reason I'm bringing him up again is because I uh, recently was going on to tappedout.net. And I was going to go there and try to, try to like do some deck updates and try to see if I could post a few more things that I had from my like archive of decks that I have in the reel, but I haven't actually put up anywhere online to be visible. So I could then share those links to our um, newest social media site. But then once I got to tapped out, I saw a couple of comments on one of my crankle on my crankle deck that I had up there, and then I kind of got like stuck there talking with that, and I didn't really get a chance to communicate back. But basically, it was like someone had seen my list, the Mob Nation. There was a couple of cards they were asking me why I didn't include them into the deck, and then as I looked at them, I was like, hmm, that makes sense. I don't know why I didn't include them into the deck. Now I'm trying to figure out where I'm gonna what cards are coming out so these cards can then go in. He was asking me how come I don't have a copy of Illusion uh, Illusionist Bracers. An Umber Mantle, or possibly a Thousand Year Elixir in there, so I can get more activations out of my Cranko's effect. And in one in one case, at first I was thinking, well, because you know they're not goblins, but then I realized, but they are shiny objects, and goblins do love those. And I don't think a goblin would ever turn down a Thousand Year Elixir, because you know even with a Thousand Year Elixir, I'm pretty sure the lifespan would still only be about 24 months. I mean, that's with the Elixir too. Like normally, you can expect a goblin to last like 24 minutes in the big world. Yeah. So let's see here. What cards? Um. Oh, no. Like so. Ignore me for a brief moment as I go through my list and try to figure out what in here I would kick out to put those in. <laughs> All right. So while we're ignoring Calvin, my commander this week yeah. is Gulcaller Gissa. So took the mono black deck over out to the to Yield Game Shop and I decided, you know what? This game I'm gonna go ahead and just swap swap around for Cathaped. You know, everyone else supplies me with cards. And what I realized is when you're playing Cathaped. You're not, you're not playing him when you play against token decks. Cause I had somewhat, cause for some reason I played Cothoped into a board that had Avengers Zendikar plus eight plants, mm. which had been followed up by 
get soldiers equal to number of creatures on board. And so when I went to use Gar- in Garrick's Wake, I realized, oh, wait, I just killed myself. That sounds like some crap I would do. <laughs> I mean... Were the demons involved? Oh, yeah. Cothabed is most definitely yeah. a demon. So, yeah. Obviously. I mean, so, on the one yeah. hand, Cothabed is sweet, but I think if I wanted to focus the deck around him more, I'd have to swap out a lot of my Rasp for just kind of pinpoint removal and just turn them all into cantrips. But what I've liked about, been liking about Gulkala Gissa as the head of the deck is that she's kind of a build-my-own-sack outlet. Like, the zombies are cool, and don't get me wrong, but I like the fact that she's just kind of more of a sack outlet that gives me value more than anything else. That five mana cost is kind of awkward on a three four body, but again, she does kind of, she does let me just reuse stuff over and over again, which we'll get into later this episode. I am a master teaser. So, Calvin, did you find what you were looking for? Uh, not just sitting here. Uh, on the list on tappedout.net, one of the main cards I would probably end up dropping out would probably end up being the goblin slide. But that's basically just me just doing some deck tweaking in the middle of the intro. So most of this can just be ignored. All right, then. Ignore me. Trust me, I wish I could. All right. So, if you like what we do here on CommanderCast Prime, go ahead and check out our website, CommanderCast.com. We post all kinds of content these days. Monday, you get CommanderCast Prime. Hey, if you get your episodes of CommanderCast, you get your weekly fix through MTGCast, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They are a fantastic network. They give a lot of people their first start. And they host a lot of great shows, like Mike's show, The Manipool. And another show where he might show up as a guest sometimes, Card Advantage, as part of the flavor episodes. But we here at CommanderCast want to give you a reason to come to our website. So if you want to get our episodes as soon as they come out, go ahead and go to our website where you can download them in person. Or even subscribe to our RSS feed. It's fantastic. You'll get to see a lot of CommanderCast exclusive stuff, like our Tuesday segments, Journey to Somewhere, and Deck Builder Spotlight. Journey to Somewhere is my attempt to pay homage to Mark Rosewater by doing my own driving podcasting, editorial type things. Only instead of talking about design, I tend to use it as kind of a soapbox platform to talk about the community editorial stuff, as Tuesday is our community day. But it's also where Mark's Deck Builder Spotlight is. Mark, you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, this week we have uh, Kurt's sweet uh, samurai and ninja-themed deck coming up. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, We don't do an awful lot of tribal decks on Deck Builder Spotlight, and uh, I'm not sure why, because those are some of my favorites. So tune in if you want a, a, a different take on how to do deck in Blackblade. Actually, Mike, would you be interested in doing a Deck Builder Spotlight sometime in the future? Uh, Sure, I could do that, yeah. Sweet. So, Mark, go ahead and tell Mike what you do with, with that real quick, just so that he actually knows what's going on. Yes, sure. Yes. <laughs> no problem, Mike. Um, so, so Mike just a, signed up for something. He has no idea. Hey, but at least yeah, but at least he said yes, right? Like that's kind of those are the kind of volunteers we like. Yeah. <laughs> trusting. Yeah, exactly. Very trusting. Have no idea. Yeah, exactly. It's good stuff, man. Um, so yeah, Deck Builder Spotlight is just a, a one-on-one interview show. Occasionally, we might have a, a guest or two on. Um, so we just sit down, we talk about your deck, man. That's it. Uh, I kind of rebooted Andy's old video segment, except I don't really do video so much. So it's just a one. It's think of it like a two guys sitting down to uh, you know shoot the breeze about their decks. Okay. That came out mostly about mostly about your deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really big, and I've covered it with black sleeves. Yeah. You fine. you put your deck on the table, and both you and Mark talk about it. Yeah. All right. So Wednesday, that's our strategy segment. That's where you get the awesome Dexplanation articles that Grandpa Growth has been coming out. This week, the week that we're recording this, which means that you, listener, will want to check back on it, he talks about value. And the guy just makes gold articles. He just, it's amazing. 
Thursday. It's kind of our free-for-all segment. If you have an article that you want to submit, go ahead and send, send to us. This is probably when we'll be posting it. Otherwise, we've got Rivals Duel with Noel Clausen and Eric Bonvey. Occasionally, The Stack with the aforementioned Grandpa Growth. And Aaron, a.k.a. Uncle Landros, a.k.a. the man who's made our website much more mobile-friendly. Thanks, Aaron. Friday, we get our technology articles, also provided by Aaron, a.k.a. the Uncle Landros. But hey, you know what? It's also the day that Squirecast comes out for our website. So go ahead, come on by. It's a great podcast, especially for beginners. I highly recommend it. In fact, they just had an episode all about Ramp, which is funny because we have an episode planned for Ramp in the future. So actually gave me some ideas to go ahead and shoot for it in order to kind of make ours a little bit more different and give kind of a, a different spin on Ramp. But I like and, it. That's cool. That's awesome. And also, by the time you hear this last week's episode from Squirecast was their review of the 15 gods from Daros Block. All right, then. And so the last bit of, bit of announcement, hey, we finally have a Reddit thread thanks to new member, new staff member Jacob, a.k.a. WaffleCone. So he's someone else who, who sent us an email, said he wanted to volunteer his time. And when I laid out some options for him, he said, yeah, I'd like to go ahead and start doing some of the social media stuff. And before, I, so before I made him a Facebook admin, I said, okay, go ahead and show me that you can go ahead and do this and this and this. And he did it. So now Commander Cats is up on Reddit. We have a thread for what your what your favorite commander is this week, and we also have a thread for Battle of Zendikar spoilers. So while we're avoiding them until everything's released here on the show, you guys can still talk about them with us on the Reddit forum. I'm gonna be on there. Uh, Clay, you're, you check on Reddit, right? Uh, on occasion, I can probably post there. I probably should post there. I, I think um. Hayes is gonna be there. <laughs> Let's yeah. see if I can, let's see, it's, uh, slash r slash commander cast. Yeah, it's r slash commander cast. Cool. Yep, so we have a Reddit th- right now. I'll provide a link to that in the show notes. Alright, now we don't just bring on guests for any old reason. We bring them on to talk about stuff, and the first thing we're going to end up going to in our community segment, Zendikar Expedition. That's going to be an interesting. <laughs> All uh, right. That's what we're going. Battle of Zendikar stuff managed to get into the show, but it's going to be this specific. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Oh, I want no. them all. I want just one of each of them. Did I miss this? Uh, what the heck is Zendikar Expedition? Okay. Oh, no, no one so, tell him. No, no one okay. tell him. Oh, no, no, I'll, I, I want to do the explanation when we get to it. Well, you get to do the explanation. So, in our community segment today, you know, we don't normally talk about spoilers for the new set until everything's out. That way we can all condense it down to a single episode so that you, the listener who listens to multiple podcasts, not just us, you know, you don't get bogged down by nothing but spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Although I have to admit, I like how they're handling spoilers this year as opposed to last year. Last year it felt like it was just a constant torrent. This time, Wati actually is giving us breathing room between spoilers. You know? Yeah, someone at uh, Wizards yeah. of Coast turned the fossil down. Mm. Smart, I think. So... We are going to talk about a little something, though, because this is actually really cool. Now, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but the original printing of original Zendikar had something very special about it. Can you fill us on with what that was? Oh, that was the, um, uh, it wasn't called Hidden Treasures, what was it called? I thought that's what it was. Was it called Hidden Treasures? Yeah. The Hidden or was Treasures. It, it was, it was, I know it was Treasures, treasures something. And something Dangerous. Um, and I was always, I was afraid I was going to open it back with a danger. But, uh, <laughs> but no, the... <laughs> The, the hidden treasures were these old, 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 old cards that were randomly inserted into booster packs of uh, Zendikar at a rate that was 
really low, so low that I wasn't convinced that it was actually a real thing and that people were just screwing with each other until someone I know personally uh, opened one at a pre-release. He got an Island of Walk Walk. What? <laughs> one of his boosters. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Island of Walk Walk. Come on, man. Prevents all damage from a flying creature. Done. Yeah. Oh, from already? Nice. Yeah, that thing's sweet, man. <laughs> okay. Also, the tagline was Deadly Perils, Priceless Treasures. There we go. Deadly Perils and Priceless Treasures, right. That's what's... Yeah, I was afraid I was going to open a booster with, like, a scorpion in it or something. <laughs> uh, I see, the, the, the Deadly Perils was when you opened a pack that had a foil trap in it that wasn't Mind Break Trap. <laughs> right. Yep, because then you're just... Argh! Like, the guy who got nothing but Comma Stone in his Modern Masters box. But yeah, like the the very first I heard about someone opening one of those in a wild was rumors of uh, a Mox jet somewhere in Germany. And mm. like, what? Germans play with English cards? <laughs> All right. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I, I, okay, Calvin just broke my head there. Yeah, here's the point where William Cast invoked prejudice. The whole joke. No, no, no. <laughs> Auschwitz and showers, missing people. I just. Why did you do this? Just, just stop now. Okay, back to the actual thing. Okay, so like last time, we are getting something very special in these booster packs. Maybe it's not necessarily the price of treasures, although these things are quite the treasure. So, it's Mark, close. you don't know what Zendikar Expedition is. I have no I'll, idea. I'll leave it to, to Clay to actually say what specifically is in it. But I will say that it is a special 25-card set that they have intermingled with Battle for Zendikar. Right, will you just shut up and let Clay explain it before you <laughs> yes, come around and spoil the whole thing? I just said I like You, you just I... spoiled the whole damn thing. No, I so didn't. works is. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Mark, question for you. Okay. Were you as disappointed as the rest of the world was when Mark Rosewater said that Zendikar fetches would not be in Battle for Zendikar? Um, I was completely ambivalent. <laughs> okay. So, so I what if I told static. you that Zendikar Fetchlands are, in fact, going to be in battle for Zendikar? What? And what if I told you that they will also be accompanied by Ravnica Shocklands? What? And what if I told you that these fetches in these Shocklands while not actually part of the real set, will be openable in Battle for Zendikar, but will have special full-art foiled printings. I get all this and more for 1995? Holy shit. Order now and you get two. I know. I thought we were going full-on infomercial there for a minute. That's Uh, kind of... I don't know. Don't forget forget shipping a hand with Link Gentleman. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, fine print. we, We have seen... The artwork for Eridemesa, Steam Vents, Hallowed Fountain, and um, Godless Shrine at this point. Um, and they look really, really sweet. Like Actually, these... we have nine of the... We have nine lands so far. Have we gotten more of them? Godless Shrine, Steam Vents, Hallowed Fountain, Eridemesa. Oh, yeah, and then um, also the spe- the new dual lands from Battle for Zendikar will also be available in this printing. Cool. Um, I was actually, I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about it till later, but I was really excited they printed the new, like, dual ones. Fetchable duels, man. Yeah, man, those things free. I don't know, I was, as a guy who plays, like, a whole shit ton of basic lands in his decks, like, usually on average about 20 or 30, I was pretty excited. So. Yeah, so basically, there's 
the odds of getting one of these is astronomically low. Um, <laughs> it's it's roughly so, the same as getting a foil mythic, which is slightly more than one per case. Yeah, and so yeah. basically, but don't try. Like, thank you, wizards, for putting more fetchlands into circulation because I feel obligated to say that because they're printing more of them. But it would have been nice to have them be not like three, four hundred dollar cards, like attainable by human beings. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be I definitely, I definitely want an entire set of these, and I know I'm never going to see that in my lifetime because they look gorgeous. Yeah, the good news is that here at Card Academy in Roundsburg, Ohio, which is a fantastic shop, I implore you to look it up. We we got we got plenty. We got word that we're going to get plenty of product, like boxes and fat packs and all that, which is awesome. And we're going to open, like, three cases for the store. So much product. But we're not actually going to have any of these full hearts for sale until someone tries to trade it, wants to trade them in, because John went ahead and let me know that he actually wants to collect these. Collect these. <laughs> so I do, too. So, yeah, like, three boxes. of being the boss. Yeah, so, like, three three cases, we might get, like, three, three to five if we're lucky. If even. Yep. <laughs> However... So, what we have seen out of Battle for Zendikar and these special printings of lands is actually going to entice me for when I find judge work for, like, a box a day or equivalent credit to actually take the boxes. Huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> box, box! Usually. I usually just get credit. Like, uh, the last time I worked at a local store here, I got a foil Avacyn and... A player rewards Wrath of God, which was sweet. Wow, real He he kind of overcomped us, but I'm not complaining. I mean, I know I prefer to be overcomped rather than undercomped. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I remember judging pre-releases where the comp would be enough to buy like two sixteen-dollar cards, and that would be it. Which now seems criminally underpaid. <laughs> it depends on where you work and how many people are there. Yeah. Although we did get also get more pre-release kits, so now instead of hosting just the one midnight release, we can actually do two normal ones plus a two-headed. Nice. I am so looking forward to this. <laughs> All right, so we have the full art lands, which we're going to discuss. But the first thing I want to discuss is new dual lands. One, why can't we just call these base lands? Like I know everyone's okay. on, I know everyone's on like the tango line, and I <laughs> can't come up because it takes like two basic lands for these things to come into play untapped. Mm. But at the same time, like, it doesn't have that snap to it. Like, I... like shock lands, fetch lands, check lands. I, I, just, okay. I just call them slow duels. I've been um, calling them slow bros. Bounce lands. Yeah, I, I prefer slow bros. I like um, that. Because they, they are buddy lands, so bro, and they are slow, and also it's a Pokemon. So yeah. slow bro land. I'm good with that. Uh, I mean, was, I'm, wasn't I'm, it one of Sino's friends that posted that on Twitter? I think so. Like <laughs> I, I went and posted my thoughts on what they should be called, and then someone responded with "vote for slow bro." And like, yeah. I'm not against slow bro. Like that's actually kind of a cool, cool thing. But I like my la- my nicknames to be like, snappy with lands. You know, like <laughs> like come on, check, fetch, check, bounce. Hey, if uh, if I we it can get back on the. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still leading the charge for calling them Signet Lands out of Odyssey, so <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I think that actually works because that's functionally what they are. Yeah. So if we can have Signet Lands, so we can have the Slow Bros. I think slow I think this can lands. exist. Uh, All right. We weren't seriously thinking. Of, yeah, they weren't seriously thinking of calling them Tango Lands, were they? No. Yeah, that's the name that came up like within ten. It, it's it's cute and clever, but it doesn't. We can do like, better than that. It doesn't. Not, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, we can do better than that, community people. We and can like, just do better than that. And like that—that that was my main problem with calling them Tango Lands. Like, it's just dumb. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
like when they were doing like the clans and all that, you know, that still worked for me because we had like these two syllable things like Mardu, Saltai, Abzan. Like, yeah. there's a certain that it's weird how the lexicon for English works like this, where there's it's, a syllable threshold. Yeah, there's a syllable threshold for things like Boros, Orzov, Is it? Slowbro fits into that. Slowbro does. So, so Slowbro land. I guess, but I, feel, I, I don't know. I, my, my threshold for lands is at one. Ideally, like, like again, I'm not against slow bros. Like that's actually, like I think that's a fine name. You call them bro lands. Double like, check. Discount lands. lands. Discount double check. <laughs> Ooh, because I don't know, man. they that like they check market, for two but... basics. So yeah. discount double check. Discount lands. And you sounds get like them at discount combined. compared to original duels, I guess. Discount duels. So I'm uh, sorry. The more we talk about this, the more slow bro just seems to sound like the best option, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll try it for a while. See, see if I can work with that. I, I, I think we can work this out. Like community, I think if we just all decide we're gonna call them Slowbro Aliens, no matter what anyone says to us. So I think we're good. So remember, release. Besides, I prefer that. I prefer yeah. Slowbro over the uh, what was it? What would you say? Base, baselands. Because if that was the, yeah, not, like no, William called them baselands or something like that earlier. And, like, the cool thing about that is, is that, like, every time you play one, you could just say drop the base, and then, you know. <laughs> but, but but then that is just something I feel with just, like, after, like, the time, you, after the third time you drop the base, someone's just going to be annoyed and be like, okay, I get it, shut the fuck up. That's all about that base. But this, but where's the trouble? If that if these are the bases, then the enemies would be the trouble? Well, no, because you're going to be in trouble. trouble once someone punches you in the face for saying it too much. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go, punch you in the face, Lance. <laughs> We have and how long has this show been going? We've been going for an hour. We've already jumped into like our stupid little like uh, witty, uh, corny banter. Of things. <laughs> uh, okay. if, you, if you want to call it witty, that's, that's your measurement. I call it the groan test, as in how many groans can I get in an hour? All right. So anyway, anyway, these lands look fantastic. Uh, uh, for any listener who doesn't know, they've released a cycle of allied color dual lands that do have land types, so they are fetchable. Um, you can find them with Farseek, you can find them with anything that cares about finding a land with a basic land type. Um, but they come into play tapped unless you control two or more basic lands. So basically, they're giving us color-fixing lands, but they're also encouraging us to play basics. Right. More so than they did when they had check lands with shock lands and Ravnica. Right, and the main question I wanted to post to you guys tonight about this was, where do you see these lands fitting in? Like, are they just going to be along those, the lines of the budget-ish fiction, depending on how expensive they are? Or do you see these actually being viable indexes that want to be faster and more competitive? Like, I feel like a greedy mana base is a three or more color deck that goes... No, that goes lower than 13 to 15 basics, I want to say. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, that sounds like a lot of basics. But at the same time, when you play too many of them, then you get, into, then you start building the type of meta where you get blown out by ruination and stuff like that. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, it's kind of fair because you overextended your mana base that way. Shut up, it basically Bobby. comes down to what kind of deck you're playing. Um, like, my Tassiger deck is built to be able to play Tainted Pact. So it can only run at maximum six basics. I would definitely play the temples over the discount double check lands. Um, just because the scry and there isn't going to be too many times where I actually have two or more basics on the board when I want them. But they could definitely see play in less, I don't want to say less optimized mana bases because people will play what they need to play to get their decks to work. But if you run like at least 15 basics, and these end up being pretty cheap, it's really easy to fit them in there. What do you think, Mike? 
Uh, because, like the point that was just brought up, they they can go really well in in what you've chosen to call less optimized uh, land bases. I think they're especially good for newer players and players who are trying to get into the format who don't have a ton of other multicolored lands that they can throw in uh, a, a two or three color deck that they want to make, and they're just naturally going to have a lot more basics if they can get their hands on the slow tools that they need. They're going to be really good. Mark, Calvin, do either of you have anything you wanted to throw in on this? Well, my view is sweet. But my thing for it is I'm still kind of like I'm still kind of digesting them because on the one hand, if I'm like if I'm playing a deck that has a bunch of different like has a need for multiple colors and I'm playing stuff like the temples and I'm already playing the gates or I'm already playing like the refuges, then I wouldn't use these because there won't be enough basics for them to ever come in untapped. Even if I can just like you know search them out, that's cool and everything. That's that's an advantage for them. But in the same token, outside of being able to search in with a fetch land, I'm not really gonna get a chance to use it that turn because most of my other lands are gonna be non-basics. If I'm playing a deck that has a ton of basics in it, typically I'm like maybe I don't know. Let's just say like mono red and I'm splashing white or not white. Like say I'm mono red and I'm splashing green. Then yeah, these would be fine because you know that it comes in. There's plenty of mountains for them to be there to untap and potentially give me the green if I happen to need it. So like if I'm playing like a mono red deck or whatever, I can see them being like in that kind of concept of a deck. But outside of that, like the middle ground where you're trying to find like the right number of basics mixed with the right number of other manner fixers. Plus, in order to search these things out, you would need fetch lands or things that actually like search for like search your uh, like Tenga forest and put it into play or something like that nature. Mm-hmm. Then it's kind of because the thing is because they have to be basics for them to come in untapped. It's kind of what I find to be the issue. When I first saw these like cards uh, the other day, the first like I was actually it reminded me of the lands from what was it Scars of Mirrodin, I think it was the speed lands that we had. The fast lands. Yeah, the, fa- the fast lands that, like, if you had, like, two or less lands in the play, they came in untapped. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when I first saw those, I was like, I was wondering when they were going to print, like, the opposite version of that or how it was going to look. I wasn't expecting it to be now. But <laughs> it's just, like, in the same token, like, the fast lands I get, like, if you're playing them and you got them and you need the mana fixing, like, right here, turn one, turn whatever, that's fine. Boom. So if the fast lands had like the basic types on them, like forests and mountains and whatever, then yeah, I'd be perfectly, I could, I could fully get it. Cause like you go turn one, you play your fetch, you get them to show up, they come in on tap. And then after like turn two or three, they always show up tapped. So you have no reason to search them anymore. Right. But with these, by the yeah. time I have the lands on the field to search them, put them to come untapped, I probably already have more than enough mana to do what I needed to do anyway. I well, mean, drop, it's kind of like, it. kind of like, uh, what was I got? There, Mike. I was just gonna, dropping dropping that um, sixth land of the color you need. If it comes into play untapped, that's really nice. That's really helpful. <laughs> and un- unless you get, I mean, unless you're doing something unusual or you just get a really weird draw, these aren't really going to be uh, at their best until turn five ish, anyway. Right. So and that's the thing. It's like, like that's so the thing. Like playing them at... and building to to account for that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like as I look at it, it's like in, on the one hand. I can have my lands come in and they give me like an effect like they scry or they gain me a life or something of that nature. But then I have these where late game, I can, they just show up completely untapped, but at least I have access to that color fixing like immediately. Yeah. But then in my mind, I'm like, but then that's the same slot where if I just beat a six land, by the time I have six lands on the field, typically I already have multiple colors. And on the know? other, other hand, 
you get cards like Crozenberg's that don't specify basic land, and they just say grab two land types, and then they're awesome because they're coming to play tapped anyway. Yeah, yeah. or it's like, like grabbing um, shock lands with those. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what really uh, boosts them, in my estimation, and probably why I'll stick them in decks. I mean, to be honest, they're probably mostly going to go in two-color decks. Uh, three-color decks, I think they're a little... Three-color decks and up, I think, are a little harder to justify. Um, and obviously, they have no place in a monocolored deck. But I think two-color decks, they have a nice home, man. Like, there's a nice sweet spot there. Um, because some of the some of the cards, you know, I found myself taking the Scars lands out of my decks recently. Because <laughs> a lot of times, like, I want them to come in because I want cheap color fix because I'm a cheap bastard and I don't want to pay an awful lot for dual lands. Um, but I, I always find that if they come in any time after the first couple turns of the game, then they, ended up be, they end up being the exact same thing as a gate anyway. So, like, and the reason I don't play gates is I don't want things to come in tapped. But now these have, you know, like Mike said, they're, they're going to be at their best around, like, turn five-ish or so. Um, so I think that, and that's... You know, that's a little more flexible. Like, that's when you can do a Crozen Verge, or that's when you can do a Myriad Landscape and, and pop these guys out. Um, so it's a little more flexible, and that's what I like, you know? Yeah, they, they are also really good on turn one, if you're not trying to get a fast start. Because oh, yeah. it, it Because it, it costs you nothing to get them out there. And if you happen to draw any Buddy Lands, they have those basic types to let those come and play on tap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so... I think that about really does it for what we can talk about the lands for now. To me, I don't think the two basic lands is that big of a threshold, but that's something that we're just going to have to play with them to find out. So, next up, we're going to go into a, the meat of our episode today, and we're going to talk about Reanimator. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Oh, I think I have our other title. Basic oh. land stuff? Oh, is the show title going to be That Means Two Things? <laughs> That's I mean, so lame. I'll change it later if I think of something better. Like that means two things. Translation is not changing it. <laughs> that means two things. It is better than uh, Rampant Rampage. So soon, soon. The Rampant Rampage for our animated reanimator song set yeah. discussion makes more sense. All right, <clears throat> I'm getting ready to start this. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You would. You wish. <laughs> Today, on our strategy segment, we're going to be talking about Reanimator, and that's the primary reason why we brought up Mike, because Mike, this tends to be one of your favorite strategies, correct? Yeah, uh, I just really, really love playing out of the graveyard, and I don't know why. It's just, it it isn't something that uh, I've always done. I'm, I think it started back when original Ravnica was printed, and I decided to make uh, a really big dredge deck, because I didn't want to mail myself out during the course of the game. Hold and on. it was just so fun. Hold on, how big how big was it? 120 cards. Bah. Exactly double the size of a normal deck. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Um, being exactly twice the size of a normal deck made it easy for me to get the land counts right. That was actually the primary motivator. <laughs> uh, but it is so fun. I still have it together. I still play it. I still update it. <laughs> it is so fun. That, that is amazing. All right, so let's go ahead and just dive right into our headliners. What is the ma- major definition for reanimator, in your opinion? Because I've, I've seen people kind of use it for a couple different things. Yeah, I guess at its core, there's something in your graveyard. You really like it. Now you want it in play somehow. And you use whatever effect you use to uh, to achieve your goal, that would be a reanimator effect. 
Right. So that's a reanimator effect. What we're looking for today, specifically, is a reanimator strategy. Because when you're playing Commander, you know, we naturally include a lot of these reanimator-type effects in our decks all the time. Like, people use uh, Living End, Rise of the Dark Realms as a, is a very strong finisher. So you see these effects all the time in Commander, naturally. But what we're talking about specifically with reanimator as a strategy is, for the most part, we're looking to cheat big stuff into play by reanimating them at a lower cost, right? Right. So, real quick, who here besides Mike has fun experiences with Reanimator? Oh, hey. I do. <laughs> Mark? I, I like playing with dead things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, that got the groan? <laughs> Jesus, of all the things we did tonight, that got the groan. <laughs> no, it's like, like, it's like, in the mo- no, it's not that that was groan worthy. It's just when you said it for a brief moment in my head, like, I just imagined us having to now take Mark and getting him, like, psycho, get, getting him a psycho uh, analyze just to make sure he's not, like, losing it. Man, I make one blank, vague reference blank, to necrophilia, and all of a sudden everybody loosens hey, their shit. Hey, I'm just saying, like, you know, playing with dead things like that, you know, that's kind of where it starts. That's where serial killers come from, from my understanding. <laughs> Probably. Starts off he's small. It starts off small. We go, like, move from hamsters to guinea pigs <laughs> to dogs. Next thing you know, you're missing a few co-hosts. Yeah. I did go out I'm with a girl one time. Saying, yep, yeah, all that really is. I could I really care less. To be fair, I have been wondering where Aaron's been the past few months. Hmm, Mark? Whoa, 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 don't, you can't blame this one on me. No, I make one vague reference to dead things, and all of a sudden, now I murder our, our co-site sponsors or something? No, I don't. So, back to Reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're looking to play just the really big stuff, and we're looking to play for a reduced cost, because a lot of the things that we're trying to cheat in the play, like maybe a Grizzle brand, Calvin, we need the true uh, soundbite in there. Alright, fine, I'll find it. Grizzle brand! Thank you. Okay, so getting like getting just the big stuff out there for cheap. And Mike, what is one of the cheapest reanimator spells ever? Uh, that would be called. Um, is it just called reanimate? Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. just one black mana, and then you lose life equal to what? It's converted mana cost. Yep. It's that easy. It's just that easy. And remember, commander, forty life. You got you, you got some life to burn. What are you doing with your life? Nothing. Well, get your act together, son. So let's go ahead and just start with the basics. How are we looking to get these big guys into our yard? Because reanimator implies that they were dead to begin with. Right. Well, if we're talking about getting stuff from our into our yard, I would have to say that the key concept that we would have to start off with would be buried alive and dredge. Because so, those are basically like the beginning stones of putting stuff from your putting stuff into your yard. Because dredge basically, yeah, you get to mill stuff from the top of your library and buried alive. What is it? It's a uh, three mana, two mana, something like that. I forget three. at the moment. It's three. So three mana, you reach through your library, you find three creatures that you want dead, and you just kill them immediately and toss them into the graveyard and toss dirt on top of their screaming corpses. Actually, or, not corpse, but even worse, they're just pre-dead. They were never alive to begin with. And you know, and with buried alive, they're already in there. You're tossing them straight from the deck into there, so you already know exactly which three targets you want. With dredge, you're milling cards and putting stuff back into your hand. Uh, what was it? Blah 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 blah. Because with dreads, it's like you draw, if you would draw a card, you, dredge creatures had like a number on them, like mm-hmm. one, five, or something like that, and depending on what card, depending on when you were going to draw, you would take that number of cards, toss them into your graveyard to get that dredge creature or spell or whatever it was back to your hand. So basically, if you had like, uh, what is it, Stinkweed Ip, you dredge five, yeah. you get Stinkweed back to your hand, five cards yeah. go straight from the top of your library into your graveyard. Best Stinky Imp in the world. 
And in case you didn't have access to like cars like Buried Alive and you just wanted to do this kind of thing, you could use cars like uh, Liliana, Liliana vests, and like tutor up things and put them on top of your library. And then when you go to draw the card, you just stink weed, go straight to the graveyard. Stinky. So, Mark, Clay, let's go ahead and get you guys going. What have been your experiences with Reanimator and getting stuff into that? Like, what's your ideal methods for doing that? Oh, man. Will, come on, buddy. You know what my ideal method is. It's a yeah. little orb that I like to call mesmeric. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> just, oh, man. Just saying, if I got, if I gotta throw some, some reanimator tech out there, mesmeric orb is my, is my shit, man. It's um, my jam. I, I guess I don't play any dedicated reanimator decks at the moment, unless you count Sidisi bringing zombies out of the grave. The last one that I played was actually Yortiller Nephilim. Um, which is kind of like Kalia, but it reanimates stuff instead of putting stuff into play from your hand. And I often just used Buried Alive and Entomb and Corpse Connoisseur, which is a zombie that when it enters the battlefield, you entomb a creature. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good cards out there. Uh, Gerard's Orders is also one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. I like Altar of Dementia, too. (laughs) That's good stuff. Alright, so we have some straight from the deck to the graveyard. And that's especially great when you're dealing with, like, a single-day format or you just want to supercharge your graveyard. Like, living index and stuff like that, you want to make sure that when you're flipping the graveyards around, you get just more out of it than anyone else. But there's yeah. also, like, just, like, what happens if you draw these things? Like, Buried Alive isn't going to help you get that Grozebrand in, in the yard if Grozebrand's in your hand. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite ways to get stuff in the graveyard, if I'm not self-milling or doing something like that, is to just draw a ton of cards so that I have to discard at the end of my turn. True, and doing it that way. <laughs> oh, that's actually really nice. I was, so, of course, the actual method by which we're doing that is just discard. And a lot of what I like is the uh, the functional discard. You know, you've got looters, you've, you've got tutors, like survival the fittest. Literally, it just says pay a grain, discard a creature, go tutor for another creature. Yeah. You know, I like to go ahead he- and drop a creature and then go tutor for Karmic Guide in my Carador deck. Because don't you know, <laughs> Karmic Guide is just going to bring that guy out. Oh, I was just going to throw in there, if we're talking about, like, um, reanimator and discard, one of my favorites, I was actually going to say this for technology, but it's, it's too good right now. Tortured Existence is, like, one of my favorite ones for this. It's just, like, a one-mana, just, like, a black enchantment. You pay a black, choose and discard a creature card from your hand, and then return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Use some funny-ass shenanigans with that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, like that was actually one of the cards I have for technology, too, and then I saw that you had, I was like, I know, and I just spoiled my own technology, but I figured we were on topic. It's so good! It is, man. It, like, it costs 25 cents. Like, it's a common, not a stronghold. It's awesome. Yeah, and like, Like, Ray was about to say, Stingweed Imp, like, it's perfect for dredge cards. Like, you go mm -hmm. ahead and just get your creature back while getting your dredger back in the yard. Yeah. Oh, it it does some work. The, as far as discarding goes, um, Putrid Imp and Lotleth Troll... Or any oh, creature yeah. that has an activated ability that lets you discard cards is also really good for that. Oh, yeah, I see um, Lotless a lot in the modern Dredge deck. Yeah, like uh, in my Sadissi deck, I play Lotless Troll. Yes, it's a zombie, but primarily like, oh, I dredge this Grave Troll back to my hand. I'm just going to discard it at the end of your turn. That sort of thing. Yeah, I just took Lotless Troll out of my Carador deck because I want to try something else out. And I'm like, uh, I have that, you know that feeling when you take something out and you're like, I don't know if I did the right thing. So I'm not sure if I did the right thing with Lotless Troll, yeah. but we'll see. So we got, we've gotten these big things. That we're go, we've gone ahead and we've put them into our yard. But guys, what's the number one thing we tell people to do when playing Commander? Uh, keep removal sweeps available. Attack first. Don't ask questions. Slay more graveyard aid. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was 
and punch this, people in the throat. I mean, and this, this is, is why. I mean, this is what's going to happen when people torm out Crypt your nice fat graveyard. Or even just Bajookabog. Like, remember, there's literally almost no cost to someone just running Bajookabog in their deck. So, what 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 happens there? Like, one, how far do we extend our graveyard? Because, like, Living End's a sweet play, but you can't actually overextend into your graveyard that hard. And two, how do we actually try and rebuild from this? <laughs> go ahead, Mark. I guess in terms of... Oh, I think someone else oh, had a quick... No, yeah. go ahead, Mike. Actually, I had, like, a, a side tangent to talk about, like, you know, some of the new Eldrazi, you know, grabbing stuff from Exile effects. So it's kind of like uh, a side uh, tangent. Oh, okay. Mike, yeah, Mike's stuff was probably more on topic. <laughs> okay, yeah, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> in, in terms of not overextending, you just got... Just from experience, you have to know when you're being greedy and when you're being reasonable. If you have... um if you already have a really good living death play available to your in your graveyard, you might as well go ahead and take it instead of risking screwing around for another turn and someone having something to say about it. Sure. But that takes that's not something that's really easy to see. You just got to have a good uh, intuitive. You got to have a good wisdom for it. I think you probably have to just end up getting like blown out a couple times. Because <laughs> <And then, laughs> I I have definitely sat there with living death in my hand and then just watched my graveyard just go away. <laughs> Oh, you know, like, oh man, if I get one more sweet card and then I'm totally gonna live in death and fucking rock this house, and then, oh, it went away. So, you don't always have to wait, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you're getting like three really good things, that's good. That's a strong effect. Yeah, yeah. and it wipes the board in the process. Mm hmm. You see, what I like having, because apparently I don't know this lesson good, like, even with decks like Kalia that get blown out when someone board wipes. I still just want to put all the things out. Like, I'm, I'm like a beagle when you feed it. They just don't have that part of their brain that tells them to stop eating. It's just like, oh, God, there's food. I have to eat it all, even if I end up throwing it up later. Like, I just, I can't stop I may never get a chance to eat again. Exactly. Like, it's there, so you have to do it. And so I don't have this thing where I know when to stop overextending. So what I've done is I, I've just kind of put safety valves into my deck. Stuff like Elixir of Immortality or, in my character, like Archangel's Light. Or even just, you know, tortured existence. Who would have thought? Because they let me go ahead and they let me have a response in case something happens. So I can try and be as greedy as I can, but I have this safety net where I can save the important pieces. And that was actually really important when I was playing my character deck against a Farika player at the table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that makes me need to add something to my technology. Because so... <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of a card. Yay, cards! Yay. Well, I mean, you know, I guess I had a question about Aldrazi, but I think I'm going to skip it because Will, you just brought up a good a good point, man. And I was wondering for everybody else who plays Reanimator, do you guys have when you talk about safety valves? Like, I interpret that slightly differently. To me, like a safety valve is Rift Sweeper. You know, like something I can play <laughs> when someone does blow my shit out, and I'm like, oh man, that was my win condition. I really need that back. So, like, that's what I do. Like, I don't really like pull from eternity quite as much because, like, I like to get the stuff back. I, somewhere, I mean, it's all right. I mean, I know Rift Sweeper puts it into its, in its library too, but I or for Rift Sweeper I, puts it into the library. Pull from eternity puts it into the graveyard. Well, maybe okay. Then I totally got that backwards. Then whatever, whichever one goes into the graveyard, like that's but I, either of the two though. I mean, how many pull from exile effects are there? I think those are the only two off the top. Those of my head. two, and then Mist Hollow Griffin. Um, there's also yeah. um, Mirror of Fate. There, there are some really weird ones <laughs> that are not worth playing in this sort of deck at all. Um, 
Like yeah. at that point, you're being like way too cautious. Or, like if you're <laughs> digging for that kind of like level of like getting stuff back from exile, then right. maybe you should just learn to pull the damn trigger. <laughs> to me, just making sure that there's something else your deck can be doing is enough of a is is enough of a, a safety option. Mm-hmm. Like um, my Mimeoplasm deck has enough cards are on ramp that I could just be casting the big, huge, terrifying things that I draw without too much problem. Um, decks I built for standard, you know, I. I can just cast Dragon with Tarko or Hornet Queen if I want to, if the game goes long enough and my opponent is, is hating me out too much. Yeah, that, that's actually a very good transition. So let's go ahead and talk about the commanders. Like, what are some of the what what are some of your favorite commanders to play for Reanimator? Like for me, it's very easy to say someone like Carador because or er, Carador actually lets you cast a creature from your graveyard, but that's not really what makes him Reanimator. What makes him Reanimator is that you can actually just play some of the reanimated spells from your graveyard, like Karma Guide. Like, remember, the goal here isn't to just play things from your graveyard. It's to play them at a discounted cost. Right. Uh, let's see. A couple of the best commanders for that. The, well, there's the Memeoplasm, because, you know, you're, you're basically going to, you don't have to always go for your graveyard. You can start taking stuff out of other people's graveyards. So, mm-hmm. you know, at least that way, if your graveyard gets nuked, it doesn't matter, because you can just drop the Memeoplasm. You can still be big and threatening and probably the most frightening thing on the board, as long as your opponents still have stuff. There's uh, Sharoom, Sharoom the Hegemon. She's a good reanimator um, commander, because even though she goes for artifacts, if your deck is full of artifact creatures and you're putting a bunch of them into the graveyard, like your worm cool engines or your battle sphere mirrors or whatever the case may be, she can just slap them back onto the battlefield for you. And yeah. typically, in her colors, you can just blink her in and out, depending on what you put into your deck, and just go off. <laughs> I know that... uh Sadissi Brood Tyrant, if you're not playing the zombie tribal one that I am, um, is very popular for Reanimator because she has green and black, which are very good for it. Um, Blue also has a lot of fatties, but she also just puts stuff into the graveyard anyway, just by her attacking and by her entering the battlefield. So she works pretty well. Um, Another one that I think is completely underrated, Cedrus the Traitor King, um, who is, he's more of a sneak attack style deck. Um, but basically what he does, he's a 5-5 zombie warrior for three blue, red, black. So he's in Grixis. Um, each creature card in your graveyard has unearth two black. So unearth is a mechanic, kind of like flashback for creatures, where if you pay the unearth cost, you can bring it back from your graveyard to the battlefield with haste and then sacrifice it or exile it if it would leave the battlefield or at the end of turn. Um, so basically, with Cedrus, you would dump stuff into your graveyard and then pay three mana, just two and a black, to bring it back to attack for a turn. Um, it would be, it's much more for, I have this giant thing that's going to wreck your board when it hits you, so I'm just going to bring it back for this turn and kill you with it. Yeah, one of my mana pool co-hosts, Brian, has a Cedrus deck, and it is dangerous. <laughs> there have been times where... You know, we've just, like, uh, I've shuffled it up just to play a quick game and not even knowing all the cards in the deck. All of a sudden, I'm like, blah, 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 you're dead, you know. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it happens. Um, I'm sure there's some way in those colors to, like, blink things in and out. Um, like, let's see, momentary blink. Because with Unearth, if it would leave the battlefield and go to Exile, then it still does whatever it would when it would come back normally, kind of like the interaction that we saw in Standard between Obsidot and Whip of Erebos. Yeah. So let's see. Um, momentary Blink. Is that one the white one? Yes, yeah. it's white with um, the blue flashback. Yeah. 
there there are probably some effects to blink creatures in those colors to keep them around permanently. Um, do some digging, figure it out. I'm still absurdly proud of that Cedrus that I proxied up. <laughs> Cedrus. And to my surprise, he actually still had it with him last time, uh, last weekend. <laughs> oh, he's not wheeling unsafe though. No, but to be fair, when I was looking at Cedrus' original art, he doesn't have the unsight. It's an axe, so. Yeah. Although he does yeah, that, have these... That, that's what I was complaining about. He has these weird sp- bi- spiny, bony things sticking out from the back of his head, though. <laughs> unsight. Kill the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, Mike, Michael, uh, I also I also remember you had... A, a, last time you were on, you talked about a Volrath deck, right? Right, Volrath, and I was going to bring that up, too. I already mentioned the Mimeoplasm, but I do like uh, Volrath being able to enable my being able to enable uh, my reanimation effects. You know, I'm playing black, so I've got a million effects available to me. And his own ability, you can just pay one in a black and discard a creature card, and he gets plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is its uh, converted mana cost. So he can run up on someone and slap for big damage, and then I have a nice, fresh reanimation target in my graveyard. Yeah. Uh, okay, like, here's a card combo that... Um, Going, I'm blatantly going to just steal from Squirecast because it's something that I uh, heard them talking about while editing the show. It's not and stealing I, if you give them credit for it. Yeah, like so, like basically this is a combo like thing that I picked up from over there. Farika, uh, God of Affliction, because basically her ability is like you can pay the black and the green and exile target creature from a graveyard and its owner gets the 1-1 one, one black enchantment snake with death touch, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what they were talking about was someone that they knew who had built a Farika deck, but a, they would use Farika to exile all the creatures in their opponent's graveyards, so that way when they went to cast Living Death, their opponents would get back nothing, and they would just get <clears> back <throat> everything they had in their graveyard. <laughs> I have done things similar to this. You can do that with uh, Leyline of the Void as well. It was just something like, because as we were discussing this, it's one of the things that they were discussing on their last episode that went up last Friday. And it just kind of got stuck in my head because I was like, like, you know what, that actually never occurred to me as something that you could actually do with Farika. And I was like, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, that's actually probably a really good strategy to build like a reanimator deck with Farika using her abilities to just kind of like keep everybody else's graveyards at bay while leaving yours perfectly safe. And if someone yeah, is like going that. after your graveyard, you just... And, yeah, and if someone does decide to, like, you know, go after your graveyard and try to kill your creatures, you could dump some mana into it, remove some of your creatures, and at least get back some death-touchy snakes. Yep, I've definitely <laughs> done stuff along those lines. And if anyone tries to hit you back with those snakes, that's what the bullwhip's for. Bullwhip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bullwhip. All right. Uh, oh, and uh, we can't go much further without talking at least, or at least mentioning um, Belter to the file. There we there. go. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Battle four. All right. So we have everything set up. What is the reanimator? Is there anything that the reanimator strategy is particularly good against? Like just strategy lies. Like how does it fare against like aggro's or control? It works really well in an attrition type war because basically you're constantly getting your creatures back. So it's like, yeah, they wrapped the board, but it doesn't matter because the next turn your creatures are returning. Yeah, they doom-bladed your guy, but it doesn't matter because you're bringing them back. Yeah. It, it's just one of those, like, your creatures can just be used as blockers or be used in just weird, unprofitable combat steps. Because in the end, as long as something on their field died, you're getting something back later. 
so you can easily win like attrition because it's just it's not like you're playing more cards than they are you're just bringing all of your stuff back while they're losing stuff so unless they can either refill their board or regain their position you're basically going to inevitably just beat them down by just constantly putting stuff on the board yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that Liliana quote. I think it was uh, one death for my enemies, thousands for my allies. Mark, you had something. Oh, I was going to say Reanimator is the only time, or the only archetype, rather, that I don't mind getting my stuff countered. Unless it's getting, like, exiled. <laughs> so, I'm like, sure, sure. yeah, buddy. Yeah, probably where I want to go anywhere. Yeah, unless they're still playing Hinder. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I don't know. That's a, that is a good question. I was wondering, has anyone actually seen someone play Hinder or like, uh, what's the Fate Seal called? Spin to Myth lately? I haven't seen myth. those. Yeah, I haven't seen those things in months. Uh, they I totally are. Yeah. yeah, like, they're fine counter spells, but at the same time, I haven't seen them nearly as much since the commander rule changed. Yeah. I feel <laughs> I like everyone just bad. took them right out. I still see but them when people are playing tunnel vision combo, but that's about it. Yeah, because the thing is, like, everybody was playing them to use against people's commanders, but now the people's commanders don't care about them. They're still good. They're still useful. You can still use them on, like, people's Sun Titans and whatever. Mm-hmm. Random, big, big-ass, big-ass creature they decide to cast. You, Oh, that's a nice little Drazi you got there. It'd be a damn shame if someone put it on the bottom of your library. But no, they just, it's just, it's just one of those weird things where it's like, I don't know, I don't know why people do that. It's like the moment, like, something doesn't do exactly the one tiny little thing that you wanted it to do, even though it still does, like, 98 other things. Nah, we we don't care. We don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah, like it was the same thing with the uh, the illusion clone too. It's like it's no longer just two mana kill your commander. Right. Yeah. And that's like phantasmal image. That thing is still a sweet card. Oh yeah. yeah. And I and still think evil twin is amazing now because now it's like it might not kill the guy via cloning him, but yeah, at least now clone him and just you can still tap him and stab the dude in the back any damn way. Yeah, it still <laughs> soft locks people out of the commander. In fact, I still like that better because I still like the idea of evil Avison with a mustache. But evil Avison can't kill real Avison. No, no, and no. Real Avison can't kill evil Avison. No, I'm sorry. I got that backwards. When women turn evil, they wear less clothing. So it's got to be like evil. Uh, who the... Do I even have any male commanders? So in your world, your women, when they turn evil, they have less clothing and grow a mustache? Mm, I, like, I like how the way it sounded was while William was saying, do I even have any male commanders? It sounded like he was leaving the chat. Like, like he was getting softer, like he was actually going to go and check right now. I was thinking about it. All right, it so, sounded like it. So, the other thing that's a pain in the ass to reanimator is all the exile effects that have come out recently, right? Like, yeah. it's one thing to say, yeah, you can play more graveyard hate, and hey, you know, graveyard hate is a thing, you know, so don't extend to it. But there's really nothing that you can do when Shieldra gets turned into a pig. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Unless, of course, Shieldra was your commander, in which case you just, you know... You got some have to wait. Yeah, you got some bacon, but now you just got to wait a couple of turns before she shows back up. <sighs> oh boy. But yeah, but like as far as exile effects are concerned, they exile effects have always been a problem for me, Reanimator, and it's not just for the graveyard. Like just like because you could be jiggle box someone's graveyard away isn't the only problem. Like half of exile is always a problem. So it's the flower share, ashes to ashes, things like that. Like anything that would make you discard a card and send it to the exile or whatever the case may be. Like these can always just be a problem. Because it's just, you know, your creature never went to the graveyard in the first place. You know who I completely forgot about until just now? Felden of the Third Path. Yeah, Yeah. man, I play a Felden reanimator deck. He's more like Cyborg reanimator, I think, because they're not, they're not like coming back. 
but there are horrible, like, nasty Terminator skeletons coming back up. So yeah. it's just, still really sweet, though. I just, I just think that's really cool how they found a, they found a red way to give red reanimation. <laughs> it is a wicked fun deck, too. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Although that deck, I usually play more effects like Heat Shimmer or like Kiki Jiki, because what you're really looking for is like the enter the battlefield effects. But then again, mm. I mean, that's a, a, it's a different way to play reanimator. You know, like I think there are different flavors of reanimator, um, which I don't know if we've touched on that yet. But, you know, like there's the, the get big dudes on the yard, smash people in the face. There's like toolbox reanimator, which is how I kind of actually play, no, no, we haven't hit on the toolbox reanimator. So let's go ahead and hit that up to wrap to wrap this section up. Sweet, like your character deck is exactly this, right? Yeah, I mean that's what that's what I love about my uh, Carador because you know like you can do a lot of things with Carador. Obviously, all of it's going to be coming out of the graveyard. But um, like my deck is just like I like different little effects. And the nice part about Reanimator, like we talked about this before, is it's resiliency. So you know if you build a toolbox Reanimator deck, the nice part is then your tools just keep coming back over and over again. So I'll like one of my favorite cards in that deck is a card I don't play in any other in deck called Benevolent Bodyguard. It's just a one-drop <laughs> cleric. You just you sack guy. him. Yeah, you. Oh, so man, he does so much work, man. And you sack him, and then target creature you control gains protection from your from color of your choice until the end of turn. I mean, that dude combined with like the spore frogs, and uh, if you want to be mean, stuff like auger skulls to just like uh, repeatedly strip some somebody's hands, even though you have to do it during your upkeep for auger, but doesn't matter. You still sack him and then get him to discard two cards. So like, there's a bunch of really cool stuff you can do in that. Uh, now that they've like printed Flashbag Marauder again in Merciless Executioner, like, oh man, it just got so much better. It's even yeah. better when you just like use Revlark to get both the spore frog and the bodyguard back. Mm, so good. Um, so good. Yeah. But even stuff like, I mean, Kagamaro does a lot of work in that deck, you know? Because um, he just becomes like a repeatable board wipe over and over again. Between him and Mages of the Disc, honestly, like, I really dig that. Uh, something else I just want to toss out there since we are discussing Reanimator. Uh, another very close type of... Um, Thing you could do to reanimator, not exactly reanimator, but it's close enough, depending on how your deck operates, can be like reclaim kind of effects. Things mm-hmm. that take stuff out your graveyard and like stuff them into your hand. So like your yeah. eternal witness, your regrowth. Right. Restock was in mean, the last right. core set, which is awesome. Exactly. Because, you know, you're not always going to be able to have the cards needed available to just get them out your graveyard and slap them onto the field. But sometimes you have the right amount of mana where it's like, you know what, I can just pick this up, put it in my hand, and I can find another way to cheat it into play from here. Or, you know, just to kind of protect something because you're, you know, you want to make sure you have certain cards and you don't want them to just up and disappear into exile or to randomly be reanimated by somebody else depending on what they're playing, you know? But kind of this other, and these effects work well with reanimators because, one, yeah, you get your card out your deck, put it into your graveyard. Great. You get the chance to put it onto play. Cool. But sometimes, like, you know, you can put it right into your hand. It's nice and safe. If it gets discarded, it's back in your graveyard. No biggie. You just reanimate it later. If you have the mana, you can just go right in and cast it. And now you can use them for other, like, discard effects. Sometimes you get to use the same card multiple times, like, uh, Squee, Goblin Nabob. You can use, like, Squee multiple times. Just get him in there and use him constantly for discard effects. You can also listen to him every mo- Tuesday on Monday Night Magic. Yeah. Well it had to be said. All right, so, Mike, did you have anything you wanted to add to the toolbox bill before we move on? To the, I mean, eh, everything was covered pretty well. Excellent. All right, then. So that about does it for strategy. Hopefully we've given you a good idea to go ahead and start with the basics. It's not all that hard. It's get stuff into yard, get stuff out of yard and onto the battlefield, get them punching stuff. 
or like we just alluded to, it's the toolbox type. So it's actually really cool to just go ahead and start with that base idea and watch where it goes. Like, you know, I just had the Carador Dredge deck originally. It was just straight Dredge Reanimator. But now it's morphed into just to kind of a cool lands deck with Titania. So there you go. Next up, we're going to give you some technology, because it's not enough to know, you know, just what you should be doing. We need to tell you what you can do it with. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Absolutely. Yeah, we haven't actually said ban the whales in a time. Yeah, because yeah. William made well, a We only saying. have a month left on that, guys. What? It what? It, it expires in October 2015. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Ban the whales. <laughs> I was trying to keep wearing the reminder. He kept telling me to stop saying it. So and I just like, look, I've, I've kept it in the back of my but head. But if we ban the I whales, just... the Antichrist is going to be angry. The who? What? I've been reading Good Omens. Obviously. Yeah, in that it's, yeah, the Antichrist gets mad that everyone's killing all the whales because he's been reading a lot of, like, world magazines lately. All right, then. Fair. <laughs> Fair. All right. So today on technology, we're going to bring you young folks some great tech from the past. Because as I was so painfully reminded just now, not everyone's been playing for more than the past three years. What were you doing back then? All right, so looking for women, playing video games, going outside, hanging out with friends. Now outside, what am I doing? Celebrated. Now what am I doing? Curled up in a corner, looking over some cards in my attic, staring at a laptop. <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> Well, my life starts after I sacrifice three creatures, which is my first tech card, Dread Return. For two black-black, return target creature card from your graveyard to play. Flashback, sacrifice three cards. It was an uncommon from... Oh, I didn't know Dread Return was banned in modern. Actually, yeah, yeah it not. is. Thank goodness. Like, I... Like, yeah, I saw the flashback and I was thinking, oh, right, Odyssey, oh, wait. Yeah, that That's the main reason why uh, a real dredge deck doesn't exist in modern. Yeah, and it's it's just so great because that flashback cost is literally just sack three guys. You know, you, you, there's there's so many like fierce impasse and burnish hearts and birds of paradise stuff that doesn't matter after a while. Where it's like, okay, I'll go ahead and cash these guys in and get an Elish Norn out, or just, just anything, or even just a Shieldred and get those guys back. And actually, real quick, because I want to go ahead and tie this into an awesome story. My second piece of tech is. Endless Obedience from M15, which is normally a six mana just put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, but it's got Convoke. So you can tap guys to pay for the cost. And what's great is that you can play these two guys together, especially when you have Golkar Gissa. So on this, so why this is awesome, and this is my story to show it. So I was playing with the, the Jung group, the group that doesn't let me play white or blue decks. I'm staring down the, uh, the, I think it was the, the Megalodon thing. You know, the Naya 8-8 with Vigilance that taps and makes another 8-8. Godsire. Yeah, Godsire. <laughs> Just, oh god, Godsire. All I have out is Gissa. And I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna make a bunch of things, he's gonna kill me. So, I have a Dreadridge turn, and I'm like, okay, what can I get back with this? Well, I can get back a Slum Reaper. Well, he's just gonna make a token response, and besides that, he has another thing out there. So he's gonna have, like, Three cre- two creatures to throw away before I actually get to the Godsire. But then I actually start looking at it and realize, oh wait, I have Gissa out, endless obedience in my hand. Okay, let's do some things. First, 
Dread returned to bring back the Slum Reaper. Well, before everyone sacks stuff, Gist is going to make some zombies. So the Reaper's gone, eats one of the zombies, he sacrifices one of his throwaway dudes. Then we go, okay, now we're going to attack these zombies, and they're going to help cast Endless Obedience to get the Reaper again. Everyone sacks a guy, he makes his token, saves his godsire, and then I go, okay, now we flash back, sack the last of those three zombies, Reaper one more time, and you finally get to the Reaper. Meanwhile, the guy who had the godsire is just like, dude, what the hell? (laughs) So it's actually really fun to find these cool chain interaction things where you can just tap guys to help pay for a spell and then just sack them to get that spell again. (laughs) All right, so Mike, what's your first card? My first card, um, it's, another old, it's an old school card called Victimize. It's sorcery, two and a black. And the text is written in a weird way because the original printing was written in a weird yet functionally valid way. So choose two target creature cards in your graveyard. Sacrifice a creature. If you do, return the chosen cards to the battlefield tapped. Um, this was actually a marquee card in an old uh, extended deck. And usually you were sacrificing a mana elf to get back... Uh, Someone like Bissara the Dreadful and Silvos Rogue Elemental. But yeah, Victimize, for just three mana, you can get two things. Well, three mana and sacrificing a creature, but whatever. You didn't need that creature anyway. And it's probably going to do a lot better in your graveyard, regardless. Yeah, for three mana and one creature from the field, you get back two things. They come in tapped, and it's a sorcery, but still, two cards is better than pretty much all. <laughs> oh yeah, especially in something like Caradar where you want to, where like this creature you're sacrificing is just another reanimator target. Yeah. Like a lot of, what was it? Like the order of broken cards for magic goes in the sense, in the order of stuff that's free, <laughs> stuff that lets you draw too many cards for free. Yeah. And then stuff that brings back too many things for almost free. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, the broken cards are the ones where, um, you're trading one resource for another, and some designer or developer did not set the ratio right yeah, at all. Yep. All right. So, Mark, what's your card? All right. So I went back and forth a couple of times on my first card because I kind of spoiled my own tortured existence earlier. Um, but my first reanimator card is Rite of Consumption plus a Goyf of your choice. Um, Rite of Consumption is a, just a sorcery. Again, it's a little slow, but at least it's cheap. It's one in the black. Uh, as an additional cost to play Rite of Consumption, you sacrifice a creature. Rite of Consumption deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to target player. You gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. I find when I'm playing reanimators, a lot of times where I'm able to get something out of the graveyard and get it into play, but I might not have haste, so I might end up sitting around for a little bit, um, which is all right, but then just gives all my opponents like another round to kill it and then put it back in the graveyard and set me back again. Um, it's nice to have multiple targets for that, but sometimes I just want to straight up kill someone. So if I can bring out like a Lord of Extinction or Rite of Consumption, like those two are like chocolate and peanut butter, man. So you know, you just keep loading up stuff in your graveyard, and then like I'm not I'm not picky. I'll just throw in like a straight up Lurgoif, and then just kill him, you know, and kill whatever. So um, that one, like this, is a straight up win con for me in in a couple of my reanimator decks. Nice. All right, Calvin. All right. So the card I'm going to be bringing up as far as reanimator strategy is concerned is going to be uh, Dawn of the Dead. It's an enchantment from Torment. It's two colors, triple black, and it reads, At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may return target creature from your graveyard to play. That creature gains haste until end of turn, and then you remove it from the game at the end of the turn. Now, the main reason why I'm personally putting this one out there is because, one, 
losing one life in Commander isn't really that much of a downside. I mean, I would gladly give up one life to get any creature that I could possibly stick into my graveyard of the state here long enough mm-hmm. to bring it back and give it haste. And two, seeing as how the creatures do come back from the graveyard, they do have haste. And yes, they will be removed from the game at the end of turn. But typically when you're playing black, you can have other sack outlets. So Dawn of the Dead doesn't care if the creature died before the end of turn. Like once it dies and goes back, it goes back to the graveyard to be brought back next turn. Your only issue is if it sticks around long enough to actually see the beginning of the end step. In which case, then it just goes away and it's exiled and you never see it again. Oh, man. Emergency situations. I need this. I need this for Gessa. Yeah, like emergency situations, like there's no real problem because like, you know, like, hey, you know, you need to get something. It's coming back. So normally what I would suggest for targets for it are other creatures that have like reanimate spells already attached to them. Like, uh, what was it? Like Sun Titan, maybe like what's the, uh, Phyrexian Delver, I believe. That's the other one that when it goes, goes, comes back, it takes a creature and brings it back with it. Something like that. Yeah. And you lose life equal to like the converted mana cost or something. Yeah, he does a reanimate. Right, so like if you like use this and you combine it with Phyrexian Delver, you paid one life, you get Delver back, he has haste, he drags something else out the graveyard for you, and then if you sacrifice the Delver, you can continuously get back a Delver that will be hasty and attacking, and also, you know, reviving other stuff. But you gotta be careful, because that's gonna be a lot of life loss for you. <laughs> Alright, so next is Clay. Okay, my first one, um, keeping on the sort of like, come back for a turn and punch someone in the face theme. Um, it's called Corpse Dance. Um, it's a rare from Tempest. It's an instant. Costs two and a black. Return the top creature card of your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature gains haste until end of turn exiled at the beginning of the next end step. The cool part is that it has a buyback cost of two. So for five mana on the person before you's end step, you can bring back whatever the top card of your graveyard is, um, which if you freshly entombed something, it's probably something pretty sweet. Um, bash someone with it or block with it. Um, and then you can just keep doing it. Uh, the problem with this card is people have a habit of messing with the order of their graveyard, which if you have this card in your deck, you actually have to keep your graveyard in the correct order and make sure you can manipulate that top card. But five mana for sneak attacking out of your graveyard and reusing Corpse Dance is pretty sweet. Hmm. Um, and if you have another sack outlet, you can just put the card back into your graveyard to do it again. Yes, Oh my god! For six mana, I just bring a guy, bring it, bring an Eldrazi back and make more zombies! Yep. Oh man, this is great for my attack. Bring someone back, <laughs> punch someone hold, with hold on, make a bunch of zombies. Hold up, hold up, hold up, dude. William, are you using us again to build another one of your fucking decks? No, this one's already built. Okay. Right. No, just checking. Uh, uh, Mike, you might not know this because this, uh, there's been plenty of times in the past. Right. Well, William will bring us on and have us do an entire show topic just to find out that he was trying to construct a deck and he needed us to basically help him put cards into his deck so he could play them for, like, online purposes and build them at the store. And then, like, he comes back and he's like, oh, yeah, my commander for the week is this thing because I got a chance to build it two weeks ago. And it's like, isn't that the same fucking deck we just talked about, like, last month? And then, like, so whenever, so when I hear William constantly talking about, like, this can go into this deck and it seems to be the same deck created, I start realizing he's using us again. (laughs) If you wanted that, William, we could have just asked us for advice. We didn't have to do an entire show helping you. We could have just, like, shot, an e- shot you an email or something. Professional crowdsourcing for entertainment and profit. <sighs> Mike, what's your next card? My next card, um, it's another old one, and it's one that I like putting in pretty much any blue uh, 
commander deck that I make, regardless of what I'm doing. And I just realized as I'm saying it that I think it didn't make it into the Sidri deck, so I have some changes I need to make. Um, but this is Recall. And Recall, I probably shouldn't do this for me because I think its wording is also weird. You can't recall it correctly? No, not at all. <laughs> but I'm not. Um, recall is a blue sorcery. It costs XX blue. And, okay, the effect is discard X cards, then return a card from your graveyard to your hand for each card discarded this way, exile recall. So you don't have to discard the cards as a cost. That's nice. Um, if for some reason you change your mind in the middle of the resolution and want to return some of the ones you discarded, you're allowed to do that. You know, that happens sometimes. But you get to trade cards in your hand for cards in your graveyard. Hmm. And it's a really, really good way to just improve your hand or set yourself up for something big or reanimate some non-creature spells that you would like to play again. It's really versatile. It can get pricey. Oh, if it, if it were an instant, it would be nuts. Um, I would put it into Tassiger. If it were an instant, it would be blue. Oh, wait. It already <laughs> is. It can get pricey, because when you're just trading two cards, that's five mana. Three cards is seven. But it often feels very much worth the mana that you put into it. Fair. So what we're saying here is, is that we'll make it an instant, knock a blue off, and then it'll be fair. So it'll just be XX? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, wow, that, that this, so, is, I, so, this is some oh, oh, real this nice double X? Oh, yeah, so we, like, we, put, we put blue in, leave the blue, drop an X, and then it'll be fair, and make it instant. Because that's how cost- blue, like, earths their spells, their sorceries. In order to, like, make their sorceries better, they, like, make them instants, and then they just kind of take the price down a little bit. But what if it costs two more? <laughs> it wouldn't matter, because it would just go into the X. All right, so let's go ahead and keep going. Calvin, what's your second card? Uh, my second card is going to be Apprentice Necromancer. It is a one colorless, one black. It's from Urza's Destiny, I believe. That's what that little, like, uh, beaker symbol in the corner is, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a wizard, or technically on the card it's printed as a wizard, as a wizard but it's been uh, rotted. It's a wizard zombie now. I don't know if there's any other more recent printings that actually have that on it, but it's a zombie as well. And it's a 1-1. It has an effect that says, Stay black, tap it, and sack it. And you can return target creature from your graveyard to play. That creature has haste, and at the end of turn, sacrifice it. So it's kind of similar to like my card from earlier. Only difference is, is that afterwards, you don't have to pay to one life. You just have to pay a mana. You lose the Necromancer, which is fine. He goes to the graveyard. We're doing reanimated stuff anyway. And two, the other thing that happens is that the creature that you lose at the end of turn goes also back to the graveyard. And since Apprentice Necromancer is only one colorless, one black, using him to target other things that do reanimator effects, i.e. what what I was talking about with the Phyrexian, uh, Delver, and whatever, you pop the Necromancer, you get them back, they have haste. They drag the Necromancer out of the graveyard, put him back on your side of the field. They swing, they die, and he's still there to be used again later to bring him back if needed. And at that point, you're only losing two life to get him back. You're basically paying two life on a black. All right, Clay. Um, let's see, what did I have here a second? Um, right. let's see. Which one do I want to talk? How many cards are we doing each tonight? Just three? Just three. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about one that will probably also get put into the Gessa deck that has been a complete all-star in my Sadissi deck. Um, Gravespawn Sovereign is this absolutely amazing dude. Um, let's... I never pay attention to the power and toughness, so I need to actually look it up. Um, it's a 3-3 for 4 black-black. 
It's a zombie. Um, it's printed as a zombie lord. The lord is no longer a creature type. Um, tap five untapped zombies you control. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Hey. So, Sidissi's already making a bunch of zombies. Let's use those zombies to reanimate more zombies. Or if you have something in your graveyard that I want, I'm going to take it. The, the funniest play that I've ever done with this was, uh, I had like eight zombies on the board. So, not enough to reanimate two things. But I tapped five and I brought back someone else's Grave Titan, made two more, and then used those two to make another five <laughs> to go get something else. Um, this can go really well into Gissa, um, <gasps> because she puts them on untapped. So, yeah. So many wonderful things. Oh, yeah. All right. So, well, I'm looking, so I'm looking this up. Mark, go ahead. Mark. Are you on mute again, Mark? Son of a bitch. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, God damn it. I got like halfway through the card, too. Damn it. Make <laughs> oh. it up. Make it up. Man, this is like once a show, man. This is terrible. Anyway, yeah, instead of um, me flubbing the opening, it's Mark being on mute. Yeah, I'm not that smart. Anyway, uh, Necrotic Sliver is a 2-2 uh, sliver. He's like the only sliver I usually play. Um, but I really like Vindicate. And I really like playing Vindicate more than once. And I really like continuing to get him back. And I don't like other people's permanents. So, Necrotic Sliver is one, one colorless, one white, one black. Uh, has a very simple, uh, ability. It's just all slivers have pay three mana, sacrifice is permanent, destroy target permanent. So, <laughs> it's pretty sweet. And yeah, he goes to yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's got that nice, sweet three-mana threshold, which uh, nicely fits in with Sun Titan, too, which is... I don't think Sun Titan's really secret tech. I don't really think we need to put it in there. But Sun Titan is definitely... Like, like if I have a deck that plays any kind of reanimator, it's probably got Sun Titan in it, too. So. No, speaking of Sun Titan, it was in that... What was it? Heroes vs. Monsters duel deck? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So that is where I found an amazing piece of reanimator tech. Miraculous Recovery. Which was originally printed in Visions. And I saw this and I was like, wait, wait, this can't be a real card. <laughs> like, and I, and I love when I look at a car- card that, from Magic's Path and I still get that feeling of, wait, what? So, Miraculous Recovery. For four and a white, that's right, white gets reanimation spells too, but not quite like this. Instant return target creature card from your grimmage to the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on it. So, let's go over the, the the different parts of this card. One, it's in white, which I'm actually surprised I haven't seen a white reanimator deck yet. But white does have the power to reanimate stuff. Well, mono-white reanimator, anyway. It's in, white gets to reanimate stuff, but it doesn't get it as in no, slender stumps. That just sounds so cool, though. Like a white reanimator deck. Like, it just hit, like, I don't know, it hit hit, hit me right in the bruise, man. Yeah, like, there's already, like, the fire death and a bunch of other stuff. Like, even Marshall's Anthem, which is... You could totally do that. Yeah. Because you have a bunch of stuff that brings, like, white brings it right to the battlefield. Like, Breath of Life and, uh... uh Amaria. The one that, uh... Amaria, your Amaria, angels. Amaria yeah. the Sky Ruins. You can oh, you can even play Rhea as your uh, commander. Oh, shit! Oh, white reanimator. Oh, man. If anyone has a white reanimator deck, now I need to see that thing. So, Rhea as a commander is expensive, but I think that's totally sweet. So, Miraculous Recovery. Like, like all these parts are coming together. Like, it's an... Instant speed reanimation effect. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to play Bajookabog, and okay, Mark, I'm going to hitch your graveyard. Oh, wait, you have Miraculous Recovery? Well, okay, I guess I got rid of everything but the card I really wanted to get rid of. <laughs> and it gets a counter! Like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good for an instant. 
Yeah, they have a version of that that works for angels as well. Yeah, Defy Death, I think. Yeah, um, Defi- if it's an angel, you put two counters on it. Yeah, but sorcery speed. And uh, like, and like the thing that makes you go, "What about this?" Is that it's instant speed reanimation. Mm-hmm. Like people attack you, and you go, "Surprise, motherfucker!" Surprise, motherfucker! <laughs> I'm back from the dead just to kick your ass. <laughs> Basically. Basically. That's, that's the thing you could do. Uh, yep. Just right. not even playing around. Not even. All right. So here we go. Final round, Mike. What's your last card? Final round. Um, my last card is Cauldron of Souls, and uh. It's not quite the same as the other reanimation effects that we've been talking about, where you have stuff to put away for later and reanimate. It happens right now. Cauldron of Souls is an artifact. It costs five. You tap it. Uh, choose any number of target creatures. Any number. Each of those creatures gains persist until end of turn. So you use it uh, as a response to something about to die, either mass removal or point removal, if you just really like that thing and you want it back, and it goes to the graveyard and it jumps back onto the battlefield. This is especially nice if your reanimator strategy also involves uh, several creatures with good enters the battlefield triggers. Um, it's just a really, really nifty and useful effect to have around. Combos very well with Micaeus. Yes. <laughs> Either one. All right. So, next one. Calvin. Okay. Uh, the next um, card or slight group of cards I'm going to pick at is the... There's a group of two ones that we never got a chance to really touch on. Basically, they're creatures who they can't block, but they have cheap bodies, and they have the ability to just come back from your graveyard repeatedly. These are the Blood Dash, the Grave Crawler, the, uh, what is it, Reanimated Skeleton, I think it is? Reanimated Skeleton is the 1-1, but that still counts. There's also the Blood Soap Champion. Yeah, that's the other one I was trying to remember, Blood Soap (laughs) Champion. I don't know why I put reanimate. Well, he falls into the category, kind of, because, you know, he still does does the whole returning thing. Basically, these guys, like, Pretty much there's usually a condition you have to meet, but, and granted they can't block, but they make perfect sack outlets, and they're, they're a continuous force that will always be available to you. Like Blood Dash, you play a land, he always, he comes right back. Uh, what was it? Grave Crawler, you have to have a zombie in play, then you can just cast him. Oh, what's Blood Soap's Champion's effect? It comes back if you pay like two mana and you attack this turn. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so. Yeah, so like there's a couple of these like little niche small utility guys with like reanimator effects stapled into them. You just kind of have to like jump through a hoop or two in order for them to come back from the graveyard on their own. And they're really good to be able to use for this type of deck because you're not always going to have like the living end or the big spell or something to be able to get things back. And it's nice to have like a small army of creatures that can continuously just come back on their own. <laughs> yeah, that reanimation skeleton is a trooper. Like. So many sack out yeah. effects that you just get for two mana. Continuously, too. All right. Yeah, he takes it. Yeah, right on the chin. All right. So, let's see. Who hasn't had a third card yet? Clay. Um, my third one goes along the lines of kind of protecting your reanimation targets. Um, it's something that I threw into Sidisi because it has flashback and is amazing. It's called Memory's Journey. Hmm. It's an uncommon from Innistrad. It's an instant. Costs one and a blue. Uh-huh. Target player shuffles up to three target cards from his or her graveyard into his or her library. Flashback, green. So it goes into um, green and blue reanimator decks, so probably Sidisi or Mimeoplasm. But if someone tries to exile your graveyard, you can shuffle a couple key cards back in. Um, If someone tries to reanimate stuff out of their own graveyard, you can also just kind of dagger them by shuffling them into their own library. Um, I use it most often... If someone is trying to exile specific cards, like I'm trying to reanimate something, 
Um, or if there's one of many inevitable exile triggers for my bridge from below, and I actually want to try and use it this game, then I can just shuffle it back in. Um, it's really great in self-mill because it has flashback, and it only costs a green. So it's almost always available to you, and it's just a really solid card overall. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Like, I would play the, uh, uh, the, there was a, I think it was Fairy Macabre. Which Fairy was, Macabre? Yeah, which was discard to exile two things. Like, I like this a little more because it gets, has that versatility. Yeah. Like, people can still see it coming if it's in your graveyard already, but at the same time, it's only one green. Like, who's actually paying attention to that? Yeah. Alright. Mark, did we get your third card yet? Nope. Not yet. Um, so my third card is gonna be Children of Cordless. Children of Corvus is another awesome little toolbox card that I just love. Um, I keep picking up more and more of these things. Maybe because they're 22 cents, and maybe because they're awesome. I can't even decide which of the two. Why not uh, both? Exactly. So anyway, it's a, just a one-drop human rubble cleric, which I guess could be relevant somewhere. Um, but the cool thing is that when you sacrifice Children of Corvus, you gain life equal to the life you've lost this turn. So... This dude in a in a finely tuned reanimator deck will just keep churning along, just keep gaining you back all the life. Who cares if you don't have anybody in the field and keep getting smashed in the face because you're just going to get it all back. It also, correct me if I'm wrong, judges. Now, does this also work with paying life? Yes, because that is yeah. life that you have lost. Lost. Okay, so I just want to make sure so I, before I throw that out and someone, like, rips me up in the comment section. You know, so. I really could have used these guys when I lost over 30 points of life to Cothopet. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there's a legacy reanimator deck <laughs> called Tinfins, where the combo is basically using Grizzleband to draw into Children of Corliss to gain back all of your life to draw more cards. Pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah there's some really dirty combos with Children of Corliss. <laughs> um, in my own Lin Civi deck, if I have enough mana and I have ways to untap Lin Civi, if I get hit for, like, 20, I'll be like, okay, find Children of Corliss, sacrifice them, put them on the bottom, find them again, sacrifice them again. Oh, God, again, they are gain, gain, like, 60 life back after getting hit for 20. Yeah. Oh, God, you rebel scum. It's great. All right, then. So then, you know what? We, you know, there's we're dealing with over 20 years of magic history. So let's go ahead and condense that to one minute, shall we? Calvin, take it away for Calvin Micro Minutes. Okay, real quick, one of the other cards that we're going to discuss is going to be the Whip of Erebos. It's an enchantment, artifact, legendary whip. It's four mana. You can use it. You can whip a creature from the graveyard back onto the battlefield. It gets exiled when it leaves the field, but you get a chance to use it. You can only use it as a source for speed up. Faded Return is also from Theros Block. It's from Born of the Gods. It costs four black, 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 so it's pretty expensive, but it's an instant, and it allows you to reanimate anything from anyone's graveyard. It also becomes indestructible, and then if it's your turn, you also get to scry too. Rescue from the Underworld, it's an instant, or very recently, four in black. Sack a creature, at the beginning of your next upkeep, that creature and another creature come back from your graveyard. It's another way to abuse, enter the battlefield effects, and do very shenanigans. Chainer Dementia Master, five mana, old school legend. You pay three black, and pay three life to put target creature card from any graveyard into play under your control. It also becomes black in a nightmare, no one really cares, but it gets a little bump. The bad part is that it gets exiled if Chainer ever goes anywhere, but it's still sweet. And I got Marshall's Anthem, enchantment for two, white, white, that's right, and it's got multi kicker of one. Away, so it doesn't normally answer thing where creatures you control get 1 1. But when it enters the battlefield, you get to return up to X target creatures from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is the number of times Marshall's Anthem was kicked. Which means, hey, if you have a whole bunch of mana in CDH, why don't you have a whole bunch of mana? Go ahead and just sink it all into the Anthem and get multiple creatures back. It just fits perfectly into the mono white reanimator deck. Why isn't that a thing? Go make that a thing, people. And just to wrap this up, we're gonna, I'm going to throw out three legendary creatures. All of them have some type of reanimator shenanigans going on with them. There's Shieldrick, the Whispering One, there's Death, Lord of the Vault, and there's McKay, the Unhollow. I don't have time to go through exactly what all three of them do, but they are all three legendary creatures and if you're playing a reanimator's deck and you're playing mono black they're great general sword and, oh. and that was our micro man wow thanks a ton everyone 
now it's t- now unfortunately we've talked we said everything that we need to, which means it's time to take everything to our outro. Yay, I get to use the micro-minute music. Silently, I wonder if there are people who say the exact same same thing I am saying at the points where I say it, like I do for other shows. <laughs> there are. There totally are. I certainly hope so. Send us an email. Let me know what you what you think. Because I know I do that whenever I start listening <laughs> to, like, Chewie's opening for Manipool or Monday Night Magic. Or, you know, that is actually interesting. I wonder if there is another show out there that's, like, ripping something from us. I have an inkling that Matt may or may not have been inspired by our favorite command of the week to do weird card of the week. But are you a squid or are you a kid? These are the questions that keep us recording into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> My apologies. All right. <laughs> So, if you want to go ahead and follow us here at Commander Cast, then you need to know how and where to do that. So, guys, thanks for coming on. Love talking to you all. Let's go ahead and out some content information, starting with our guest, Mike. If people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, you can email all of us hosts at the Manipool, dorks at themanipool.com. You can talk to us on Twitter. That'll usually be Chewy, at themanipool. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where Chewy puts all his videos, youtube.com slash c slash Manipool. I think that's how it works. We're on Facebook. We're on Google Plus somehow still. I don't know. Um, but yes, that's how you talk to us. Uh, is is yeah. there uh, uh, anything else you'd like to plug? Patreon type things? Anything like that? Oh, right. Yeah, there's a Patreon project that, <laughs> that Chewie has going <laughs> that I contribute to on a regular basis. I just got my um, receipt in the email uh, a little while ago. Um, yes. So help to keep him going, doing all his awesome stuff, and it, it really has been really good what he's been able to get done so far. Right, like, and I know he does all this great stuff, like all the Hearthstone videos, and now he's doing the those of the Planeswalkers videos. But co- co- can anything really be his mom opening packs? Those are really good. <laughs> like, wow, it's just amazing stuff. I would say the close second for my favorite videos that he's put up are the Dork versus Dorks. Where it's basically like him and Mike playing like the one button mash and beat em up games. <laughs> I think I and saw the like, table one. <laughs> no, no, go back. Go on YouTube. Check them all out. Those things are fucking hilarious. Well, let's go ahead and get some other contact information out. Calvin, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, if people want to reach out and contact me, it's real simple to do. Um, not that hard to find. You can find me on Twitter at Captain Redzone, or you can hit me up with an email at Gmail at CaptainRedzone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the Facebook page. I'm over there, typically, going through there, getting random messages. If you shoot us a message, most likely I'm going to be one of the main people who's going to respond to it. Uh, let's see here. Other ways to contact me? I guess you could go over to Reddit now and put something in there. I might be able to find it, or at least someone will let me know. So, Mark, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? One of these days, I will re-enter the social media forums. But that, t- that day is not today, people. So until then, just Gmail me. All right, and that's also how you can get. Or you can hit one of us up, and we'll let Mark know. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much that works too. That's how you get on the deck builder spotlight, people. You just shoot Mark an email. Yep. Clay, if people want to reach you, how can you do that? Um, I am on most of the social media stuff that I'm on, um, Twitter and Reddit as EDH Panda. Also, you can email me at edhpanda at gmail dot com. And my girlfriend Mallory and I also do streaming. Under the Twitch name Pandalpaca, we also have a Tumblr and Twitter under that same name if you want to follow us. We're trying to 
figure out what our regular streaming schedule is going to be for when we're back at school, which we are now. Um, so keep on the lookout for some updates on that. Awesome. So let's see. I think that only leaves me then. And you can reach me. I'm wie Hernandez at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on the Twitters. I'm at BlueRam1409. If you want to follow us here at CommanderCast, you know, we have a Facebook page. Man by Calvin, Judd, and Jacob is the newest guy. I need to add him to the show notes. Tweet us at CommanderCast or email us CommanderCast at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and we'll read off any of the five-star reviews on air. Unfortunately, people still haven't gotten to that, so... Yeah. Come on, people. Send us some five-star reviews because William really enjoys doing that part. Yep. Thanks to everyone who contributes to our website. You're all fantastic people. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 E-Rock. Check him out on YouTube and support his Patreon. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! Here's a question, just to act. Now, you say you would read off any five-star review. Have we been getting any reviews that aren't five stars? Have we been getting any reviews at all? Hmm. Right. No, like our regular stuff, and that's awesome, but none of the casual passerbys are are leaving reviews. Casuals? Yeah, filthy. Hey, yeah. No, no, I just figured I'd act, because that's like, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking about it. like, wait a second, so if he's only reading off the five-star review and someone gives us like a four or like a one, William's not telling us because apparently he's only caring about the higher echelon five-star reviews. <sighs> what if we did like a thing where we read off like any one or five-star review? Not none of that middle crap. <laughs> Either you love us, and we want like, 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 like just tell, tell us how much we suck. We'll read that because you know we need to, you know. Have, like, I think that'd that be counterproductive to what iTunes, to how iTunes actually works. <laughs> Would be entertaining, though. But we, we could we could put we could put the one star dang, like the one stars in the dangly bit section at the end of the show. <laughs> so I've been getting into Weiss Wars kind of heavily lately, which is like the anime version of Super Smash Brothers. If Super Smash Brothers was a trading card game, mm-hmm. so okay. last and uh, my boss at, at the card shop, John, he plays a deck with fairy tale characters called uh, Dragon Slayers, because all the characters in there are Dragon Slayers. They were raised by dragons to do, like, dragon magic and stuff like that. Oh, and, I think I've seen people playing this game before. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, and they have this really cool rarity called SP, where the card is actually stamped with the voice with the Japanese voice actor's signature. Mm-hmm. And so, some pe- oh. and so, and so uh, my boss is trying to get max rarity on his Dragon Slayers deck, because it's one of the few games index things that he actually has, now that he's a game shop owner. And so... We have another girl named Belle in the store, and she handles all of our Weiss product. Like she sorts it. She actually helped build the 
thecardacademy.net website where people have been buying Weiss singles off of us, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. website. And she has told John that she will kill him if he keeps opening boxes of fairy tale cards to try and get his SPs. So what he's been doing is he's been convincing other people to buy them, and then he'll trade them full value if they get cards that he wants. And I ended up being one of those people because I, I've been on a fairy tale kick and I decided, you know what, I actually just want to play with these cards. And if I get the flip zone back to John, then that just helps save the cost. So a, we sell a box of, a box comes in like 20 packs and we sell them for $70 a box. Mm-hmm. I get four of these because Weiss has a very formulated print run where if you get a, four boxes, you're guaranteed to get all of your climax rares, which is a core mechanic to how the game works. Yeah. So I get my four boxes, and I get most every card I, I want, and I flip stuff back, including the Natsu SP that he wanted. Which, okay, so I'm feeling pretty good. Then I find out, wait, the Monica Rebellion set that I was go- planning on buying a month later actually comes out the next week. Oh. Buh. Mm. So, fortunately, my boss is great in that he lets me get stuff on credit, and so, like, part of my paycheck is in-store credit, so now I can just allocate that part to paying him back. The problem is now, because I had to get, like, four boxes of the Monica stuff, I'm now locked under credit for, like, the next three months. (laughs) On the other hand, I have all literally all the Weiss I should need for, like, ever. So, basically, William is working at a card shop that he is now indebted to. So, now you're basically, like, what's that, like, legal slavery now, kind of, in a way? Because you're basically working for free? Indentured servitude. Recently, there's a show that I started watching over the last couple of days called uh, Rick and Morty. It comes on Adult Swim. And basically, it's uh, a very messed up version of, like, Back to the Future in animated form. Uh-huh. Rick is this genius scientist guy who's this amazing inventor. And he has these inventions that can just basically do whatever the hell he wants. He goes to different dimensions. He goes to the other alternate timelines, goes to other planets and stuff. Okay. And he has his sidekick, Morty. And he has his sidekick, Morty. And basically, Morty is just like, uh, I'm guessing like 12, 13-year-old kid, something like that, that rides along with him. And the show, and basically, they still live in the house with Rick, with our Morty's family and stuff like that, because he's like their grandfather or something. But it's a hilarious show because Rick is an alcoholic and he's a drug deal. He's like a drug gun seller. He's hooked on all types of alien drugs, all types of weird forms of meth. Mm-hmm. And I found the show to be extremely hilarious. But you kind of have to sit down and pay close attention to it a lot of times because there'll be a point. There'll be points in the show where they'll make a lot of different references to stuff that if you weren't paying attention, it will shoot right past you and they don't even look back. And one episode, and for any listeners, spoilers, there's one episode where Rick and Morty are, where Morty basically tells Rick he's tired of him taking him, like, on these different adventures or whatever the case may be, and he ends up basically wanting um, Rick to give him this love potion, because it's this girl is called he likes, and he wants her to fall in love with him, and he makes the potion, he's like, here, give this to her, and once she has it, like, and she comes in contact with your skin, she'll fall instantly in love with you. And she, and Rick is, and Morty's like, there's no downsides to it or anything. Like, no, like, nah, it's perfectly fine. Unless, of course, she's got like the cold or something. And he just like runs off. He sprays her. And apparently, since she has a, the girl actually does end up having a cl- uh, cold. And when she sneezes, she ends up spreading the formula through her <laughs> mucus. And basically everybody at the <laughs> dance starts falling in love with Morty. So he's stuck in a school where his teachers, his principals, all of his classmates and everyone are like ripping each other apart just to find him so they can love 
him and hug him and have him. When Harris so just he then runs that. back. Yeah, so he runs back. He gets Rick to try to make a. He tries to get Rick to make a uh, antidote for it, and Rick just takes <laughs> some random stuff, throws it into a bottle, and makes it mixes it up, and he sprays everybody. And instead of them like no longer falling in love with him, he accidentally turns everybody into mantis. Oh, because he basically put like mantis pheromones in it because he's like uh, mantis. After they mate, they rip the heads off whoever they're mated with. So they're not going to want you because eventually they're just going to want you dead. So they're not going to be in love with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> then shortly after that, like Mick, my Morty tries to convince him to alter it again. So he does like some more, more stuff, throws into this thing. And eventually everybody turns into these gigantic gelatinous human mush blob creatures. And the disease just spreads around the entire planet. And the only way for Rick and Morty to set the world back right was for Rick to open up a portal to an alternate dimension where Rick and Morty had died earlier on in that episode. <laughs> they buried that Rick and Morty's body into the backyard and then took their place with the family from that alternate universe. And yet, that's actually, I think, the most plausible answer to that situation. That's great. Yeah, and and yeah, and the, and the hilarious part about this is that like after like he like buries his body in the backyard, like his alternate dimension version of himself, like Morty just has like this like shocked look on his face for like the last three minutes of the show as he's going through the motions of burying everything, meeting his family. He still sees his mom, still sees his dad arguing, still sees his alternate sister doing whatever, and he's just like complete and shock and all. But like in the very next episode, his sister tries to say that um her life is meaningless. But then he pulls her to the side. He's like, let me show you something. You see that? You see that thing out the window right there? That little plot by the doghouse? That's my corpse. I am not your brother. I'm actually from an alternate dimension. You're trying to tell me your life has no meaning? I'm not even supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, like, basically, if you get a chance to watch the show. And the first season is only about 11 episodes. They're about a half an hour long. And they're currently on their second season now, and they're about six episodes in. I highly recommend going back and watching it. Hilarious. There's a lot of things that goes on in there. And if you're anything into like Back to the Future, just imagine like Doc Brown not caring about time travel and using that genius to just basically get himself high. I mean, he knows things, man. Uh, mostly what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is just like working late and then I have been able to catch some, um, live music. That's been good. I got to see Earth, uh, play Ooh. Monday night. It's, that's hard to explain. It's uh it comes close to being not music sometimes. The thing is, like, uh you take these rock and roll riffs and you end up playing them really, really, really slowly. And it's huh. the 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 whole room just kind of fills with the sound and you you kinda of stand there and just ride along with it. You know, the track might be uh, you know, eight to ten minutes long, but if you were playing it at a normal human pace, it would be your standard, you know, three or four minute rock song. Probably less. But it's it, it's more for the experience than anything else. But, yeah, that was really interesting. I've been wondering about what one of their live shows would look like for quite a while. They're one of those weird acts that's, that's influenced um, people from across the spectrum, from Nirvana to the Melvins to Sun. And I was just glad that I was able to get to see them live. Um, I got to see High on Fire, my brother. That's what? Like, you know about that? No, I don't. No. That's, uh, that's kind of a more standard. Um, it's almost like the Motorhead type of heavy metal. The fast, hard-driving kind of stuff. That was a fun show. Got to see a bunch of drunk people running around in the pit. Um, <laughs> got to see one chick punch a bouncer in the face and get thrown what? out. What? Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. She, she and her boyfriend um, were 
I think the only reason she was standing up was because he was holding her up. But they ended up getting out into the kind of pit area that had opened up, and they had hooked arms and were just spinning spinning around. They were starting to go kind of fast, and that's actually really dangerous. for Especially when you're drunk. Uh, and um, the bouncers, these, like, huge dudes. The first time I noticed one of them, it was out of the corner of my eye. Suddenly I realized there was this, you know, just tower of man standing next to me. <laughs> And I'm not a tiny dude either. So when he when I noticed that, I was like, ah. Uh, he went out there and he he slowed them down. And he was trying to be like nice and serious, but then her her hand that was holding the beer bottle came across and went right in his face. And I could, oh. see, I could see the look on his face change immediately. And he escorted them out of there. And uh, a few seconds later, I heard my brother say he was standing beside me i heard him say holy shit i'm like seriously i didn't know whether you saw that that was awesome <laughs> you see the thing is in most situations where i've seen when that kind of, when that kind of thing ends up happening like the really tall guy usually ends up like curling up like a little bitch afterwards because it's like they have this like completely like empowering physique that everyone just doesn't want to fuck with Right. But then it's like when someone finally decides to fuck with them, it's like they have like no fighting experience. They're just really fucking huge. Well, no, but this and, guy's the bouncer. So. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying like, you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like in certain situations, like with that, like a lot of bouncers are bouncers. They can handle themselves. Yeah, I'm just saying, hurt. like most, yeah, in most situations that I've known where something like that was to occur, where like a a guy of that size is punched by a smaller woman, they usually just like kind of like just curl up out of just shock, awe, and mentally not being able to comprehend what just occurred so it's you know not like not, you know kudos to him for maintaining his composure long enough to be able to remember he had a job to do and get those people out of there i think at that yeah, point that... his job becomes synonymous with what he actually wants to do he <laughs> <laughs> throw people out it's like someone's, uh-huh. someone's pissing me off and i get paid to actually just give him this boot all right then I think it's stories like that, Mike, they kind of make me just want to, like, keep you on just so I can take more stories from you and put them into our dangly bit episodes. <laughs> well, but, but then what are we going to say for later, Calvin? That's what I'm talking about for the dangly bit episodes. Like, because it, it, what was it? Because when we had Cassidy on the other week, there was, like, so many things that we ended up discussing with him that I was able to, because what was it? Mike, last, not last week, the week before that, because last week we took the week off. We had uh, Cassidy from um, TCG player okay, I on. I think I know who you're talking about, yeah. And what happened was is that that episode was three hours long when William um, shipped it over to me. I cut it down to about like two hours, Mm -hmm. but I had an hour worth of just other conversation that was left out. And I was like, oh, this stuff is amazing. I'll just hold on to it. And then then we didn't record last week. So I just took the exact same clips from that hour long thing and I just slapped them together and turned them into one of our emergency dangly bit episodes. Mm -hmm. And there was like so much stuff. And I was like, man, I I completely forgot within that week's time, how many various stories we had, like, crammed into that, like, 45 minutes. At least 20 minutes of that was wrestling, I think. No, most of it was you making those weird sexual entendre jokes and me putting phrasing in between it. When did... Wait. So, wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna have a good episode today. I just just need to actually remember to link people to the show notes. Hey, guys. Oh, yeah. Forgot. Hey, what's up? Yeah, show notes. <laughs> and I act, and I know what episode this is, too. It's fantastic. Whoa, really? Yeah. That's Theo- different. I mean, theoretically speaking, of course. It's not like when Calvin puts up an episode and suddenly we're 100 episodes in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an interesting time. 
I mean, it got kind of boring around the halfway mark, but it started picking up again. Apparently, the future is awesome. <laughs> Although, Calvin, I'm kind of interested in knowing why you held on to 100 episodes worth of dangly bits. Uh, just things that kind of stockpiled up, and I had to, like, cut them back a little bit down to, like, a week's worth. I don't want to overfill the listeners with that, because uh, too much dangle could probably, like, rip our listening base completely apart. And then it'd never <laughs> come back for another, like, episode of Commander Cast, because it'd be stuck for the next, like, 365 days in dangly big territory. Fair. I mean, if you if you have too much dangle going on, they have drugs for that. Actually, I'm pretty sure drugs are the reason that there's too much dangle going on, and normally yeah. you have to <laughs> doctor filters. Yeah, I, I think they have police for too much dangle. I think that's called public indecency, man. Yeah. In other news, someone gets to be the anonymous Nyan Cat today. I have never seen Google do anonymous that. Anonymous Nyan Cat? Yeah. Yellow? There you go. That I sounds, don't see an anonymous Nyan Cat. That sounds a lot better, Calvin. I see an anonymous Nyan Cat. I thought that was just somebody's badass little uh, uh, avatar. I was jealous. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, too, but then it ends at anonymous, which means apparently either someone's username is anonymous Nyan Cat, just to mess with Google, or Google just decided to be very generous to someone. Well, Maybe someone's it's me, an anonymous rhino. Because I see the rhino and the jackal. Oh, I think that means Clay's the anonymous cat. Sweet. Mm. Yeah, yeah so I'm trying out a new headset. Yeah, oh. and you sound amazing, Clay. <laughs> yeah. It was like 10 bucks at Best Buy. And there we go. Calvin sounds a lot better now. I figured out what it is. I tried the attaching an extender cord to my headphone set, so this way I could try to have a little bit more wiggle room. But apparently my phone's like, nah, we don't want any of those extra attachments. So yeah, not today. I got to be, be up close, personal. All of in its private spaces. I like that, baby. Yeah, you, you do. That's how you get quality dangle right there. <laughs> All right. So, guys, this week, M- Mike from the Manipool is joining us today. Hey, if oh, you hadn't already noticed. In case you hadn't noticed. Hey, Mike. <laughs> hey, how you doing? <laughs> oh, today was my daughter's first day at school. Oh, oh nice. who cried more? Is it you <laughs> or her? Well, I, well, she didn't cry when I took her to school, and in all honesty, I didn't cry when I got home or anything. I just kind of felt awkward because it's like, when you're in the house and you hear that awkward silence, as a parent, I'm kind of like already like pre-tuned to be like, it's too quiet. The kids are off doing something terrible or doing something <laughs> they shouldn't be doing. Let me get up to go check what's going on and like, oh, wait, that's right. They're not here. My, my mom know, went man. through something like that after I had to put my cat down. After Mallory and I moved back to school, she was like, you know, it's way too quiet around here without the kids or a cat, so I'm going to get another cat. So she got a new cat. Right. You can't just, right. I'm really sorry for, I, I don't know, I'm really sorry for laughing at that, man. I just thought you were equating, no, like, his his daughter going to school with your mom's dead cat. and that No, just, that but the, funny, the, the, house, the house being empty sort of thing. Now now I got it. I was to sure be, you're going with that now. To be, to be fair, in most states, you can't just go to PetSmart and pick up a new kid, so... <laughs> And would you want to? Come on now. <laughs> I mean, my parents probably would just because they need the farm labor. That's why you have kids in the first place. Why aren't you helping? Also true. Because no, I got, right? Because How did I you escape. Well, first I hid in the closet for a year, and then I got the hell out of Dodge. Ah. <laughs> mm, that means two things. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Calvin. <laughs> How dare you, uh, uh, Kronos? Uh, no, wait, Kronos. Kronos. Let's see here. There we go. Now it's up. 
That was me stalling, waiting for Tapped Out to cool up. Yay for stalling. Woo! Woohoo! Come on. There we go. Oh, do-do-do-do-do. The... Mike just dropped off the call, but I'm going to go ahead and keep going so that he can go ahead and try and get back in, as long as the recorder itself is still going. Oh, man, so, I, I completely forgot. Theros is getting ro- ready to rotate it out soon. We're going to have to do our look-back review. <laughs> yeah, we do. I hope we have... Let's see. Hold on. Let's see. So, this week is Reanimator. Let's see. Release weekend is going to be Actually, October no, wait, 3rd. Second. Black, red, green. Look-back. Actually, wait a second. Now, what, during this time, don't we... We don't talk about Theros right now, right? We're supposed to be talking about... Uh... But no, but, no, but no, remember, we do a look-back review for the set that's rotating out. Oh, so that, that was last year. Oh, no, wait, no, you're right, you're right. It's not theirs, it's cons. We're doing a look-back review. Yeah, for us, we're going to be doing a look-back review like on cons of Tarkir, because we usually give each set about a year's worth of time before we get a chance to talk about it. We've already talked, like, to hell about theirs. You're right. I actually completely forgot. Like, I was thinking of, well, okay, what's rotating out standard? Blah. But, yeah, Theros was dead to us a year ago. Thank God. You're dead! <laughs> okay, thank God for no gods. Uh, real quick, something I just wanted to kind of toss out there so we can have something in the midsection here. Something I come, I was, I was questioning, William. Uh, uh, how is our name supposed to be organized? I mean, it's Commander Cast, but it seems like almost every time I look, it's either Commander Cast, two words, two, with two C's, Commander Cast, one word, with the second C, lowercase, Commander Cast, with them both joint together, with still two giant C's. And the more I'm thinking about it, it's like, hmm, exactly how am I supposed to be putting the name for this site up? And can then I, when I go I to, like, the here? main site, and then when I go to, like, the main site, it's all bold letters, so it's like I can't really get, like, a hint from there. Uh, go ahead, Mark. All right, so, Calvin, welcome to my world, where <laughs> I have to care about this shit all the fucking time. Me, personally, I'm going to make an executive decision here. Obviously, that holds no weight because I'm not a real executive. I would go with Capital Commander, Capital Cast, all one word. That's actually exactly how I've been doing it. Yeah. I believe that's how, like, I try to stick to, like, how it used to be done in the past. I believe, as I'm checking it right now, I believe that's how Andy used to do it, like, back in the day when he first kicked it off, and that's the way that makes the most sense to me, so... My reasoning for doing it that way is that this way, when we want to talk, when we want to abbreviate it, we can just call it, like, cc.com, or if we're talking about, we can go cccat, Prime. Or yeah. when we get to, to, like, actually branding a network-type thing with all the stuff that we do, we just call it CCN. Yeah. That's how, oh, yeah, as I'm looking at it now, I knew I must have gotten it from somewhere. That's how Andy used to do it. So, Capital Commander, Capital Cast, put it together. All one word. Okay. Yeah, all one just word. Just double-checking, because I was, like, on the site the other day, and it's, like, it's one of those things that didn't, like, occur to me until, like, literally, like, last week. I was going to a dangly bit, and I was, like, putting it down, like, Huh. Then I noticed, like, on, like, the um, MTG cast site, it has a different spelling. On our main site, it had a different spelling. And then when I go into, like, the back of the archive thing, to, like, the WordPress point, it's, like, even there, there's, like, two or three different spellings. And, like, am I putting this under the right category? Yeah. Or am I, like, messing this all up? No wonder listeners can't find our episodes half the time, because they're typing it in. They're getting one version of the name, and the other one's just completely ignoring it. Okay, but see, I'm going to Google right now. I'm going to type in Commander Cast as two words. And we're still top hit. All right, then. So the way you look at it, no matter how you slice it, that's us. So. Oh God! I just found the old Blogspot blog. Yeah. Take us back away. Wow. Like, it, 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 it still has the um Rexio standing on top with the monocle and the top hat. Yep. Wow. And what was it? The the then the ship being knocked over and it's talking about how he has the top hat and the monocle, but like what was it? No tie or something like that, calling it poor sport. 
a top hat and no monocle, poor form. Yeah, there we go. It's wow. This this is some blast from your past. Let's, let's see. <laughs> is the site still blue? Yep. All right. You see, see, ladies and gentlemen, this is Calvin digging deep into his archives in the back of my memory. This, this is how long I've been around this website. It still lists the A team as friends. Ad- and, it still lists the A team as friends and family. When everyone knows they've stopped paying attention to us like years ago. The yeah, A team don't really deal with us because we're not Canadian anymore. We're American. Yeah, Aww. until we get Aragon. In that case, then we can, can claim we're international. But see, now we have. But see, now we have Australians on the website, so now we're like triple international. It's still who's international. Who's Australian? You guys, I'm Squirecast. Uh, Squirecast. Oh, no kidding. Oh, jeez. Like, that, like, like that guy was British. British. What the hell do I know? That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound the same to me. <laughs> oh, you funny foreigners. <laughs> Although, now that, if you listen to the episode that came out earlier this year, I want to say, it's our last Friday. One of the guys, you know, because they did do their weird, weird card of the week, one of them brought up, I want to th- say, Nameless Persecution or something like that, the Blue Enchantment. Nope. I know, dude. I, uh, invoke Prejudice. Invoke Prejudice. There we go. Oh, God. The most racist magic card in history. Yeah. Nope. Both, both literally and figuratively and any other leagues you can think of. Bruce Lee. Yeah. All that. Turns out the artist is also, like, really racist. Like, if you look at one of the magic... Uh, like, if you go on Gatherer and you look at one of the comments... One of them talks about how the writer was, uh, he, he was at an event of some sort and, and this artist was there. And he went, yeah, I loved, you know, the fact that, you know, prejudice actually has, you know, like this whole racist thing about it. And, like he thought it was just a, some silly thing. The artist pulls out his portfolio to show him and it's full of this stuff. Yeah, Harold uh, McNeil actually is a white supremacist. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Awkward. Yeah. It's all around. Ooh. Yeah, and, and and the best part about it was I got to listen to it live as they were going through the act. Because as I was editing the show, they were talking about it. And they was like, oh, man, this car seems like very racist. Like, And then, like, just joking about it. But then, like, one of the guys on the show was like, yeah, but, you know, the artist is actually, like, racist. And it's like, it goes from like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's kind of how this segment just went, too. <laughs> It's like, oh, I thought that, like, oh, that's cute. That's, oh, that's not cute. Oh, that's, no. He probably has a real hood somewhere. Oh, that's (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) So let's talk about something else, more else and less same then. More more of the same? Less racism? Less same, yes. Sweet! I'm down with less racism. All right, so I'm going to go into the community segment, and then I'll give Clay the cue to go ahead and explain what this is. Sure, sure. All right, so racist remarks, check. Now we just got to hit sexuals. Uh, no, well, um, sexism. Dude, we... No, no, we another did week the, goes uh, by, and, and another non-five-star review goes up. <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't. See, I'm surprised you guys haven't noticed the double pun in today's episode title. I didn't I even see the episode, episode title. title. Rampant, rampant. Jinx, you owe me a coke. Um, but we're talking about Reanimator. God damn it! I don't know. Where's the title? Uh, it was in. The, it was in the uh, like. It's actually the, the file name. Okay, I need to change the episode then, because that was actually because I kept because Mike was coming on and he and I gave him one of two episodes for him to pick to come on. For some reason, I kept thinking it was the the ramp episode when I was naming the the episode. So you basically made everybody go look at a title that had a double like meaning joke that's not even in the damn link. <laughs> hey, 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 William. Yes. You can keep your pun, but we have to use it next week. This, next week's not the ramp episode, though. Sucks to suck. 
I'll, I'll, special. It's okay. Like you next leveled yourself, Will. Community <laughs> <laughs> segment. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think I'm probably one of the few people that was actually upset when I found out that the fetch lands were going to be in the expedition part of the pack. <laughs> I wish they were more accessible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have no problem with them printing them or whatever the case may be. But for me, it's one of those... I've never really been, like, a huge fan of the tricky wordplay of media where they'll say, like, oh, no, we're not printing them. They're not going to be in battle for Zendikar. But they will be in the pack. But they will be in battle for Zendikar. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, it's one of those, like, oh, when I first, when Mark was like, I'm guaranteeing you they are not a part of battle for Zendikar. It's like, oh, okay, good. So that means that my scolding turns, I can actually feel comfortable selling because they're not going to be here. I don't have to worry about the price bouncing around for the next couple of months or whatever the case may be. And then as I pull the scolding turns out and get ready to put them on eBay, boom, nope, they're here. But they're going to be like this, and it's going to be like this. And so and now, like, it's now, not I'm actually not gonna, going to oh, affect your price. But... It's not going to affect the price, but in the same token, it's one of those, it's just, hmm. Cause like when, I didn't realize it was like at this particular type of rarity and how difficult it was going to be to get them. <laughs> but at the time, like when they mentioned it, I was like, oh, now if that means they're going to be in there with the amount of boxes that Zendikar is going to get open because everybody's going with those full art lands. Not just these, I mean, just like the lands, period, out the pack. Right. So, but thankfully, I, people opening all those boxes will help to suppress the price of the new lands, and that'll be nice. Yeah, right. Can't you say and that I, it bugs me when people say like the only like they're only excited for Battle for Zendikar for full art lands? Like on the one hand, I can appreciate that because full art lands have become this really cool commodity. But on the other hand, it, it kind of feels like they're putting their blinders on to everything else that is starting to show up. And they're like, yeah, this is all cool, but I really just care about the full art lands. Like, full art basics or full art specials? Like full, both. Just full art basics. Because the full art basics are amazing, and everybody loves those. Ever since they started putting them in the um, unglued sets and the unhinged sets, they've, mm-hmm. everybody's been in complete and total love of full art lands. And it's one of those things where I'm surprised Wizards hasn't put them in more product than just, like, those and Zendikar. Because it's well, basically, be like, almost... Yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand mm-hmm. they want them to be special, but it just seems more like one of those things where, like, any time you had a set that you're not sure is going to sell, just throw a few four-art lands in them, and boom, you're basically guaranteed <laughs> to sell boxes of them. Hey, man, I'm like, just waiting for the snow lands to get some love. You know how fast these fat packs are going to sell out? Yeah. Like, you could have like you could have sold the shit out of um, Kamigawa if you'd have just put four-art lands and all of that. No one would have cared about anything else that said that. They'd have been all over it, and you'd have been, like, in the red for the remainder of the next year and a half. No, you want to be in the black. Oh, in the black? Yeah. I want to be in the black. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got, I got this guy at my store who... And he's black? No. He but... just happens to be black? No. He says, like, he doesn't think there's going to be anything exciting for Battle for Zendikar, and, like, he only cares about the full art and lands. And, like, when I try and point out some other stuff, he just goes, nope, just the full arts. And I just want to throttle him. Although I found working in a game store, there are a couple of people who come in, in our regular side. At some point, I'll want to throttle them, but that's, but, mag- but that's magic players for you. But you have to remember, though, William, like, pretty much every pack is going to have one full art land in it. How much do the packs usually sell at your store? Three dollars. $3. Typically, four art lands usually sell for a dollar or so, give or take, depending on the set, I'm guessing. Last time I checked, that's what they were going for, basically, a dollar a pop. Yeah, a dollar fifty so, to two fifty. 
So that means that every pack of Zendikar you purchase, you get a dollar back. So technically, every pack of Zendikar really only costs you $2. I mean, granted, all the other stuff in there is fine. You can still use it. You can play. You can trade. And some of the other stuff in there is probably going to be amazing. You're going to get Eldrazi and Planeswalkers and all that stuff. Calvin, I'm not saying they shouldn't be excited for Full Art Lands. Or I'm not saying they can't be excited for Full Art Lands. I'm just like, guys, there's more to the set than just Full Art Basics. You know that, right? Yeah, but still, full art basics, Well, So let's go full ahead and talk about some art right. basics. All right. When was the last time you saw someone get this decided over basic lands? Oh, you Outside what? of last Zendikar. I'm not taking that. I want to hear the story that was about to get told right there. Oh, yeah. One time. What happened to that? Okay. So, I was... Dead. I, this was, I, I will be right dating. back while he tells the story. Dating implies there's more than one date, and after she told me the story, there was just a one date. So we went out for, like, coffee or something, and she was telling me how she ke- she kept a dead mouse in a box, and she used to let, you know, let, like, her little niece play with it and whatnot. That and I'm be- like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that was that was after she was telling, she was explaining to me how she had, like, seven of the exact same outfit, like, gray sweater, black shirt, black pants, and she just wore them every day, so... It was interesting, man. That was a, a. I met her at a buddy of mine's party, and I stopped going to his parties after that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that, sometimes you live, you learn, man. You know, that's all I'm oh, saying. That mouse seven of the same outfits is perfectly fine, though. Uh, unless you're like Einstein, man, and this this girl's not Einstein. So I'm that, just saying. That, right, look, I, I personally am willing to accept the seven of the the seven repeated outfits. <laughs> look, if Goku can do it. There's no problem. Anytime I've seen, like, whatchamacallit, like, almost everybody I know in my neighborhood has the same damn outfit, white shirt, blue jeans, boots. <laughs> so, like, it, right. it, they, everybody comes out looking almost exactly the same. You can't really tell if they changed or not from the day yeah, before. Yeah, but come on, man. You can't, that's not the same with it. Like, there are, there are a few rules you have to abide by in dating. Like, one, you can't date a girl who owns fewer shoes than you do. Like, that's, that's like a hard and fast. Like, it's a trouble sign, man. You know? Also yeah, add to the trouble sign. Don't be stealing your shoes. To be fair, one of the rules of anime is that you have to wear the same outfit every episode. Otherwise, the viewers get confused and can't tell who you are anymore. Also true. But that stuff gets a little ripe after a bit. There's, uh... Well, hold on, Gavin. Let's go ahead, let's go ahead and get... Uh, let, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> let other people talk, other people. unlike me. You uh, cannot. Fine, fine. So, other people. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, like the the silly um like sneak attack punch you once sort of decks as well. Ooh, <laughs> like yeah. Felden and your tiller Nephilim. <laughs> it's just like I'm gonna punch you in the face with this really big thing and I don't care if it sticks around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually oh. in my Your Tiller deck I had an infinite combat combo in there because Boonweaver Giant was a thing. Mm. Um so Boonweaver Giant got um the the one from original Ravnica. That, like, when it hits a player, you take an extra combat and you sacrifice the creature it's attached to? Emblem of the Warmind? No. Oh, um, Jesus. Uh, Breath of Fury. Yeah, um, and yeah. so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you bring back Boonweaver. You, you have, like, your tiller and another creature. You attack. Your tiller brings back Boonweaver. Boonweaver finds Breath of Fury. Um, assuming you have, like, Wonder or Filth in the graveyard to give them Swamp Walk or Flying, they hit. You attach it to the second creature. And you just, like, keep bouncing it back and forth between stuff that you grab with your tiller. It was fun. Now, to be fair, Felden can keep stuff out when you have Sundial of the Infinite. Oh, yeah. You definitely yeah. can. Um, also, Cedrus can keep stuff out when you have Sundial. True. Or even, however, just, or even if, Dead Eye Navigator. However, if they would leave the battlefield, they still get sad. Unless you're using Dead Eye Navigator. Unless you're using Dead Eye Navigator. 
which you could bring back with Cedrus. <gasps> no way. Way. It's like uh, you got peanut butter all over my chocolate. What? Dude, you got, you got chocolate your chocolate all over, all over my peanut, peanut butter. butter. Jinx. You know, I just saw <laughs> I just saw that original commercial at the drive-in like about a month ago. Because we still have drive-ins up here. We just have one, like, in the we entire state. Do. But, it yeah, and they down, were, though. like, intentionally? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess the screen caught fire or something. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's an outdoor venue. How could it, like, burn down? I mean, that's what you get for doing late night... I mean, that's what you get for doing late night screens of Inferno. Uh, I was going to say someone played Pluto Nash, but he decided to take it a totally different direction. Unless uh, it was the screening of Fahrenheit 451, in which case it makes perfect sense. No, man, because no one could sit through that movie. so Because they burn it down every time. Okay, what do you need me to write down? Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I thought of putting Mortal Kombat in my list. <laughs> just uh, what else? I used to run out of Caridor, and it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Apprentice Necromancer. If I ever won with Mortal Kombat, I think I would just throw my shit on the table and just walk out and be like, yep, I'm done. No, dude, you just yell, fatality! (laughs) The first Mortal Kombat deck I ever saw, um, we didn't know what the hell Brian was doing. He just kept... Was it like Warrior Fiend or something? No. We didn't know what the hell Brian was doing. He just kept cycling. It seemed like every creature he drew, and we're like, okay. And eventually, several (laughs) turns into the game, he drops Mortal Kombat, and we're like, oh, crap! So we all attacked him to death because he didn't have any blockers because he was cycling all his creatures. Thanks, Tommy. He almost got us. Mike, I love how you said, like, the first Mortal Kombat deck you've seen. Like, I've, I've never seen a Mortal Kombat deck ever. I'm glad you've seen multiple ones. I think that, I think that's an archetype that just needs to exist. Like, there just needs to be more Mortal Kombat decks. I mean, it, it hasn't, like, it definitely hasn't been double digits, but it has been. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, if, if you can count them on your fingers, I think that's awesome. So uh, I say we should take that up as our new banter. Instead of banning the whales, we should be promoting Mortal Kombat deaths. Actually, side tangent, I finally got around to reading Carmilla today, and it was not nearly as exciting as I hoped it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I like, have no idea what you're talking about, sir. Like, you hear Carmilla, and it's supposed to be like the quintessential lesbian vampire story, like the de facto original. Huh. What? And then you get around to reading it, and it's just... It's not that exciting. Like, it's written like the plot twist is, oh my god, she's a vampire. Oh. But when you go in expecting lesbian vampire story, it kind of ruins the whole premise, of, oh, the whole point of the book. So you basically ruined the book for any of us who might have decided to pick it up. Absolutely. Yes. See, uh, and if you think that's what well, that's bad, you should have seen what my friend did to me when I spoiled the six cents for her. All right. <clears throat> so. Rosebud is, uh, what was it? It's, it's a fucking wagon. It's a little red wagon. Little red wagon. Sled. Yeah. Gonna paint it good. It's a sled. There we King go. Kong it's falls a sled. King Kong falls off the building. Darth Vader's uh, father. Stop spoiling all these movies, guys. Two hundred ninety-nine die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Two hundred ninety-nine die. The only one that lives is the one who couldn't see out. Is the Cyclops. <laughs> Charles oh. Bronson shoots a bunch of people. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. I, I actually had a student this week get really mad because he said I spoiled Castaway for him because uh-huh. we had watched like the first half hour of the film and then he came back the next day. I'm like, oh yeah, so now's the time when the plane crashes. And he's like, spoiler. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's called, no, you can't it's called say, Castaway, you can't. man. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't say that Castaway is. And nobody spoiled Castaway outside of Castaway. If you were around when that movie actually came out, the damn commercial showed the whole fucking movie. He basically showed him crashing on the island, <laughs> sitting there, playing with the ball, getting on the raft. The commercial even showed him when he got back to civilization. You know Calvin, what the whole fucking premise for the movie Calvin, was. Man, I, I, hate, I hate to break it to you, man, but you are absolutely correct, except for one thing. Don't forget, like, Castaway came out in the year 2000. Most of my students now, my freshmen were born in 2002. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, man. Like, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what. Oh, that hit, that hit me for a hard one today too. Like, Castaway is older than my students. I'm the youngest one on this cast, and that makes me feel old. I yeah. engaged with someone on Tuesday, and we were talking about you know like NSJ double flip cards, and he was like, "What are those?" And I'm like, "Huh." Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, oh, time, damn. I, time's a bitch. That's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting about that. Time actually yeah. works. Yeah. That's <laughs> the nice part about being a high school teacher. Like, you feel extra old every fall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and not feel old and talk about old cards instead. Yay. All right. Yeah, hey, time to bring up cards that half of our listeners probably don't even fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes that's us why possible. we tell them. Like, to, like we, I'm talking about these cards, and to me, it's like common stuff. And then, like, I actually forget, oh, wait, there are people who actually haven't heard of these cards. Like, that, that's, that's almost impossible for me to wrap my head around. So let's go ahead and get this thing started. That I yeah, wanted to, like, recommend for them. Type of Table was the first one. I, I really enjoyed WrestleJump. Um, yeah. Mole Hammers was also really fun. <laughs> oh, like, there's another game out there that's in that genre. I forget what it's called, but it's like, it has this, um, these two elderly gentlemen. And they're trying to knock each other's hats off of each other's head. Why? Why would you do that? That sounds fun. Uh, I can't. I don't remember the exact name of it. But if you go on YouTube, I, I know Markiplier played it, and it looked hilarious when he was doing it. Uh, it was one of those games. Like if I could remember the name, I was going to send it as a recommendation for you to give it a try. But <laughs> I don't know if it's free or not. But still, Hat Knockers 2000. Oh, right. Hat Knockers. That's what it's called. Maybe I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But Ball let's go ahead. Handlers. Yep, and um, can I just toss one more thing out there that the Reddit page completely caught me off guard? Sure. Like, because I wasn't really, because Reddit is one of those social medias that we hadn't actually expanded out to. And then just one day, like, poof, a um, Commander Reddit page just showed up. And I was like, huh, I wonder who the hell did this. And then I'm, like, just getting emails and invites and stuff like, huh, apparently I'm now a moderator for a page I didn't even know we had. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Actually, Clay, if you go ahead and get in contact with Mr. Wafflecone, he could probably make you a mod on that one too. Mm. I have no clue how moderator powers work on Reddit, so you flaunt them around and you wave them in people's faces. That is my understanding of it. Fair. You become a Reddit god. But do you have enough devotion? You can go slay trolls. Wait, hold on. So if people, so if you become a Reddit god and people downvote you, do you stop being a creature? Do you stop existing? Uh... If no one's devoted no, to think, their god anymore? I think you just... Yeah, you completely disappeared. That's what happened to the red-green one, remember? Huh, so... Okay, That's how so... Goes they would take that spot. Okay, so not only is Reddit a horrible place, it also where people go to die. Noted. That's why you should check out our Commander Cast Reddit page.
Madagascar.com.